Okay, you got it? Yeah, um, so... G, G, G... Jai. Jai Deeg. Oh, yeah. Okay, um... Jai Deeg. Okay, okay, good, yep, yep. All right, five seconds. Four, three... Hello, welcome to Stax Radio uh, with your host, G. Dig. Oh, you stupid fuck! Stax Radio with G. Dig. 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 Yeah, yeah, Dig. Dig. Yes, Dig. Dig, fellas. Dig. Dig. Yeah. How do you spell it? Yeah, Dig. How do you spell it? No, no, not John. No, John Jai. De- no, John Dee. Yeah. De- How do I spell it? John. Yeah. J-I. What? Oh, J. No, it's not J. It's not Dai Jig. Yep. Not real hard. J-I. It's hard. Are you Korean? No, I'm not Korean. Chinese. No. Dai Jig. Oh, okay. Dai Jig. Yeah. No, very simple, fellas. Really. Jai. Oh, yeah. no, it looks Dye like someone's Dye calling in phone. again. Gav, can you get that? F- yeah, yeah, Gav, phone, mate. Yeah, don't get the phone. Yeah, the telephone. Yeah, Gav, but it's, get the phone. It's in there. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, hello. Yeah, hello, this is Sharon. Who? Yeah, this is Sharon. Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, hey, mate, I haven't heard from you for a while. How how you going? You're alive. What's going on? Oh, you know, mate, just hanging out and doing a bit of this and that and that. What's going on, mate? Is this a radio station? Oh, Aussie, you know, mate. No, no, that's Stax Podcast. No, no, that's Stax Podcast. It's still a shit radio station, mate. It's not a radio station. What the fuck's a podcast? Well, it's where I get guests in, mate, and I sort of get them in and we talk about, like, Uh, music and stuff about their lives and um, so the people in Perth get to, like, know these people. uh, You know what I mean? Yeah, but why don't you get me on your show? I'd love to get you on, Aussie. Like, when when can you make it? Like, you've only just got to tell me when you can make it on the show, and mate, yeah. I'm going to clear the decks. Yeah, I'm going to make sure you're here. Yeah, I like, can... You tell me when can you make it I can make on the it show? Any... I can make it any time, mate. Oh, I'm free and easy. Uh, how am I going to? Well, who what? you got on the show today? I've got a guy called. Oh, who's so important that you need to have him on the show today, and not uh, like the Prince of Darkness, Aussie Osborne, and that? Uh, oh, sh- well, fuck, mate. Well, I've got I've got a guy called Urshon coming on. Urshon's like he's the guy uh, from Jamart. It's wicked, really good heavy metal. He was probably inspired by you, Ozzy. Yeah, like he's a dude. He's a dude. Well, did you know dude is like like dicks yeah. or something? No, so you, I didn't mean it like that. On the show. No, I'm not getting. Ca- look, Ozzy, listen, mate. Um, look, he, he's. Uh, I think I can hear him knocking on the door. Look, he's just about to come into the studio, but. Uh, Hey, listen, um, look, really good to talk to you. Look, before you go, um, have you got any dates coming up? Oh, well, we're still waiting to get on Perth Rocks Festival, well, aren't we? Well, uh, yeah. Uh, pretty hard to get on that show. Very uh, difficult. But then Jesse Ventura was talking about, like, Patrick, the, the, the Lama oh, no. for concert, uh, maybe you can get on that one. Yeah, um, uh, he's still we, trying to put that together. Yeah, uh, you can open up. Uh, but, yeah, trying to get on Perth Rocks really hard. Like, it is, it's very difficult. Yeah, it's pretty exclusive, yeah. Yeah, well, it is pretty exclusive, mate. Look, it's a bunch of friends, I think. Oh, all right, then. I'm going to go do another line of ants. Okay. So I've got, like, antibodies in that for this, all this COVID-19 shit. All right, mate. Well, fucking Uru. Hey, See you, mate. It's your radio station. Yeah, Uru. thank... It's not a radio station, Aussie. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, the Prince of Darkness himself, Aussie Osborne. And look, uh, just while we're on that note, um, 
super stoked to have the guy that I got coming in the studio today. And look, he's just knocked on the door. He's coming in. He's taken a seat. And uh, he's been looked after by uh, Gav, which really concerns me. Um, Gav's the type of guy that puts sugar in your coffee if you're a diabetic. He's, look, he's just that kind of cat, Gav. But look, we love him and we need to look after him. So uh, without further ado, please welcome a big wholehearted welcome to a Stax podcast, Mr. Urshon. Well, g'day, and I'm very glad to have him in the studio. We're just having a bit of a jibber-jabber, but as you can hear, uh, he, the man has made it. He's made it all the way up. Welcome aboard, Ursh. Great to have you in the studio, mate. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm honoured to be here, yeah, truly. It's, um, I've had plenty of guys in. I just had Clint in from uh, Volgarite, and, uh, yeah, I, I was telling him that you know, I'm going to try and drag mm. you in as soon as I can, and, mm. mate, you answered the call, and here you are. <laughs> I saw I saw Clint at the uh, indie bar the other night playing yeah. with Volgarite and it was awesome, man. He he jumped off stage while he, in the middle of a song and just gave me a big hug and then went back on stage. Yeah, yeah it felt special. And, all, and then he jumped up on the the counter at the bar and started singing from up there. And yeah, it's awesome, awesome guy. I'm pretty sure I was saying in his podcast that he um, he actually he's the embodiment of rock and roll. Like, he, oh, he isn't easy. trying to be a rocker. Yeah. He, and there's a handful of people in Perth yeah. that that are true blue, dinky-dye, Aussie rockers, mate. And, yeah, he there's no pretending. He lives the lifestyle, and he, he, he's just that. So oh, Without doubt, man, he's such a natural. It's like, yeah, he is, like you said, the embodiment of rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a fun guy. We, we met years ago. We were, we were in a band together, and... I met him out in a car park and having a great time. And I mean, that's the type of guy I want to be in a band with. <laughs> and then we walked into the rehearsal rooms and he was the guy sitting down on the drums. And a lot of people don't know he's an awesome drummer. No, no I never knew yeah, that. No. He's an awesome drummer. Yeah, I know he's a good guitarist. Awesome drummer, great guitarist, good bassist. And now he's a singer in a, hmm. in a band. So, yeah, he's uh, he's done a lot. And he, he whatever he puts his hand to, he nails. So yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. So, mate, your farm... Mate, you're still out and about. You've been doing a lot. I've, I've known you now for a few years, and you've been part of the scene, in particular the metal side of Perth, mm. and you, you've developed something. We'll go straight down that little wormhole. Um, you've got, like, you, you, the gem art, which is, is your band, but you've also been putting together a few gigs and that for the young kids and stuff, mate. I'll, hats off to you. Great, mm. great concept. Yeah, well, um, it was originally the Perth Sound Lounge, but um, I ended up calling it the Jamaat Sound Lounge because um, it just because I didn't want it to be just for Perth. I wanted it to be like you know everything's global now. So yep. I thought make it Jamart Sound Lounge and Jamart is basically the original word that um, where the word jam comes from. Anyway, yeah, right. You know, like jam, like traffic jam. Yep. Having a jam, you know, so strawberry Jamaat jam. Is the whole is the whole word? Jamart is yes, is the an original. Old, it's an old Aramaic word or something that. Wow. The word jam comes from, yeah. awesome. Yeah, like if you any congregation of any type is called jamart in about ten other countries. Yeah, right. Because they use the same word in their language as well, jamart. Yep. Yeah. So it comes from. I mean, a lot of our English language that we speak today derive from the Latin language. Yeah. Uh, but then also a lot of European. We're a bit of a melting pot. But yeah, we get languages from um, like you know, even old Arabic and stuff like um, 
chemistry and biology and all those kind of things came from that side of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, a lot of the first civilizations dating back to the um, Mesopotamians and all that, they, they were really well civilized and constructed, you know, constructed cities and all that kind of stuff were, were around that Middle Eastern area, weren't they? I mean, yeah, yeah dates right back to, and, and I've written a song called Gebekli Tepe about, you know, the, the melting pot of civilization and the birth of the civilization as we know it. 11,000 years ago. So exactly. I, I love all that stuff, yeah. So when you, when you look at it that way, um, using the word jam art was just, for me, more global and um, inclusive of everything and everyone. Cool. Rather than just saying per sound lounge. Yeah, just, you know. yeah. And you, where do you run these? The, you're running them out of, is it down at Victoria Park? or? Yeah, at um, Vision Studios in Victoria Park, old John's place, John Prosser. Yep. Yeah, top, top guy. Beautiful so what's the place. concept, mate? You, you're basically... Because I know he's got that... Are you in the large room there? The one yeah, there's at a, the end of the hall? The there's big, a big the room. The big recordings room? Yeah, it's it's not a... Um, there's At the other end is a recording room. It's called the live room. Yeah. And yep. it, right at the other end of the whole building is called the big room, and that's got the big stage, and you have events in there. Excellent. Yeah, people hire it out all the time for making their events. A lot of um, church groups and stuff do it on Sundays. They hire the whole place out. Yep, good idea. Mm. Yeah, mm. brilliant. And how's it going? You you getting a few numbers through a few young? Uh, is there a young brigade that lo- love to get there for these metal shows? So. Well, um, I guess anyone who knows me knows that I'm more for quality over quantity. Yep. So I've got some really quality kids coming that are right into it, and like you know, Josh and Zach and Christian, and and I actually got them to run it now. Yep. So they kept coming and kept coming and kept helping and I thought, all right, you guys are going to run it now. I'm going to be like Uncle Urge and just like overlook things whenever you need me, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> they actually call me Uncle Urge. Do they? Yeah. Brilliant. We had um, our demise on in the early days when they, most of them, I think all of them were underage. Yeah, yeah. And they just, the stage was all theirs, you know, and now now they're, you know, adults and they're playing at, you know, other pubs and stuff and I'm so, so, I'm so happy. Like I could die happy right now just knowing that. There's something really pleasurable in, in help moulding someone's musical venture. Yeah. You know, and... Um, well, well I, I I guess I could, um, you know, make myself feel good and say I'm older and all this, but the reality is that they just got the talent in them. They were just so awesome. They were going there anyway. Yep. I was just so um, thankful and blessed to be able to be a part of helping them to get where they're going. So we're going to give them a stage. And that's what all the Jam Art Sound Lounge is about, giving a stage for the youngsters. Because yep. they can't go and play in pubs and all this. And, but they've got a stage always ready for them. Years ago, mm. I used to, with when I had my Bluebone Entertainment Studios, I did exactly that. And I had the Junior Jammers program running, oh. which was basically <laughs> giving them a stage and yeah. organising an event so they can come and play, give awesome. them that treatment of good sound, yeah. you know, like... Really give them a sort of, you know, make a fuss over them and sort of, oh, there's your green room, that's yours, that's just <laughs> just for the performers and here's some waters for you. And I've even thrown in a few soft drinks because I'm cray-cray. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we used to do like meat pies and stuff and Elena used to be part of it. And oh, awesome. Yeah, she used to bring um, frozen pies and cook them in the steamer. And oh, that's wicked. Kit. We've got yeah. to do that again, I think. Yeah, but, it makes them feel pretty... Um, yeah. pretty awesome. And you know yeah. what? What you're doing is you're planting those seeds of encouragement you know that they they sort of get a little taste and it's amazing just the the opportunity to play mm. 
You know, when I was young, I remember we used to play at the Junction Hotel over in Newcastle, New South Wales, mm. and I got to see this three-piece jump up there, all these little young fellas that I used to see jamming in the music room, and it was a band called Innocent Criminals, which, <laughs> of course, becomes Silverchair. Oh, and, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, so I used to watch these guys jam, and it was like that was their early day opportunity to sort of to get yeah. up and play in front of people. It was sort of like, oh, you know, that's oh, good on you, young fellas, and that's a bit awesome, of a clap dude. and all that. But you just seen that that was enough to to keep that drive. And when you get bands, mm. you know, like like the band you're just sort of talking about, mm. um, they they've got that drive, so they they keep rolling. You know, yeah, so, yeah. mate. You've you've been um, you've sort of been in a you know, I mean, your fingers are in a lot of pies. You obviously mm. love, you love the music, and I've always said people have got the music in them, and mm. you're definitely a case for that. How, well, how long? How long has music been a part of your life? Well, I guess, um, not going too far back. It's another whole story which we'd probably get yeah, into. Yeah, we'll dive into that. But later. the more recent um, reason, or I guess, um, sort of drive to do what I'm doing now is. I basically, um, for the last 25 years or so, I was, um, you know, in a relationship where music was not part of it at all. Got it. And, um, but it was always in, in the back of my mind and in my heart, but I could not do it. I couldn't express it. I couldn't play. I couldn't do anything. I just had to work hard and take care of four boys growing up yep. and, you know, the missus and bills. And so it was always there. And, um, so, you know, you can get you can get depressed without knowing you're depressed. You just sort of go into this weird or automatic mode. Yeah. Um, so now my now my kids are all taller than me. Um, I had some time to think. What what is life about? What is life about for me? What you know? How am I going to survive the next friggin' twenty, thirty, forty years when I'm not doing what I've been doing for the last twenty five years? Just working. 10, 12 hours a day, 13 yeah, hours, 14, yeah. 15 hours a day, you know? Yeah. And um, I thought, oh, my guitar. So I went and, you know, played my guitar and I started getting happy again and writing and, you know, that caused a division, like a divide between um, my partner. Yeah. So I had to make that choice as well. And um, I just figured that, you know, if she's really my partner, she would, you know, support me I, I, like I've supported her and everything. I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I just thought, well, I have to just move on. And so I, I had to go and it was very, it was very hard. Well, it wasn't just an easy thing well, for me. Well, it's the mother of your four boys. So yeah. it's a, that's a massive call for you to make. And oh, it, was, it was huge. And um, but, but I'm still the, friends with her though. Like we still talk and stuff and yeah. she lets me in the house to see the kids and stuff. And yeah. so it's no real like badness about it was bad at first yeah. like she was like disgusted so no, with me so no animosity it's it's not anymore nah yeah it would have yeah. been I mean just the shock and dealing with all that in the beginning would have been very tough but yeah yeah well she 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 was used to having a you know just a, a working class man there like slaving away for the family and and I wasn't sad doing it I, I was I was happy to do it yep. but you know in the back of my mind in the back of my heart I was getting slowly dying really yeah, yeah because um you know going i guess you need that balance would, would that be fair well would you say yeah like, there I was mean, no I balance mean, you're putting in all this work yeah. and you love your kids and i'm sure you're there i mean it's the same with me i've got two girls that i i live for yeah but in order for me to be the best i can be i need to have that balance and to and once you're a creative person hmm. you have to be able to let it out 
Yeah. Yeah. You know. So exactly. Like, um, like you said, the balance. If I guess if um, I had of introduced my music into the whole situation earlier, um, it would have been okay, maybe. You know, yeah. but when it came later and it's like metal and all this and like, you know, I want to grow my hair again <laughs> and, you know, it's like it it seems silly to people that have like lived for so long in, a, in their way of life. Yeah. It yeah. kind of seems immature and silly and, but for me it's, it's been my goal from a very young age to be a musician and to try and get better and make people happy and there's nothing I love more than when someone says, I like your song or I like your lyrics that's like, for me, it's like it, maybe maybe I, I'm a weak person and I can't rely on my own sort of strength, but that gives me strength that I want, and it keeps me going. And um, it's, I don't only do it for that though. I actually so- do it because I feel the music when I'm writing it, and I'm I'm actually explaining something that I can't explain in a normal conversation. So when I make a song and I write some lyrics, sometimes it's real weird, but it's the only way I can explain stuff. I've tried to explain to a lot of people, and I dare say that you've probably had to do the same, that it's not about attention. A lot Mm. of people think we do it because we want attention or we we want that, or it's a self-esteem thing where we need people to tell us that we're awesome. But for for me personally, and, and I think for yourself, it's it's a similar thing where we do it because there's something in us that needs mm. to do it. And mm. and I guess when when people say they do, it's it's about making. You're right, making people happy, and mm. it, it's a very natural human emotion to make people happy. You know, like exactly. Yeah. Like if I, like if I write a song about um, you know domestic violence or death or whatever. There is someone that's going through that somewhere, like I was when I was a kid and listen, when I first listened to metal yep. way back then. It's like just start relating to this people you've never met playing some song about something that you're relating to. You just don't feel alone anymore. You know, I'd like to be that sound coming through some speakers somewhere in another country where some kid is just like going through hell and then he hears my song and it's like, oh, yeah. I feel that, you know, and then, and, you know, gets him going and he can you know, carry on with life. And Would you say that that's the, um, the, the, everybody likes, people are subject to different types of music and mm. a lot of people relate closest to, you know, at heart with music that represents them or the mm. things they're going through and all that kind of stuff. Now, heavy metal traditionally, people say, oh, it's dark and it's, you know, all this kind of stuff too, yeah. but... The, it, what it is is it's. I mean, we're not singing about bubble gum and, and pop soda and you know picking up chicks and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> we're singing about the, the the harshness and the reality of life, yeah. you know. And it's, and I guess that's why people, you know, like I think churches and they had it wrong when they said, oh, it's all demon worshiping and all this bullshit. Mm. People who actually understood how hard life is at times could relate to the songs that were being written by those guys back in the 70s and 80s that were coming through with that wave of heavy metal back then, you know. Yeah. Well, I guess um, on, on the subject of um, the churches and the demons and stuff, um, the reality is that everybody has their own demons or their own dark side or their own struggles. And um, the churches have 
labelled it a demon, so we've just gone along with it. So demons. So they've still got the demons. Yep. They're still there. And the, and if there's nothing that they can relate to to help them through it or to understand it, it's, you know, like it's not all bubble gums and stuff like you said, you know? Yeah, yeah. So what's the point of completely getting rid of it and just the dude has to deal with his own demons in his own way and a lot of a lot of people in, um, you know, good families and, um, you know, churches and stuff have have actually grown up to become terrible people. Oh, for sure. You know, because um, yeah, for sure. they've never understood what their demons were. They just thought, well, it's just me. I'm, I'm just a bad person, you know. But if I, I guess listening to metal as a young kid, they might have um, realised that, hey, you know, it is something and other people have got this kind of dark side the same as me and you know what I mean? Then, yeah. You know what I mean? Then they probably refrain from killing people or something thinking maybe they've got it. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. That's just talking like <laughs> it's, uh, weird shit now. <laughs> oh, not really, mate. It's, that's the thing. It's, it's what you say, it's weird. It's actually when you're singing about bubble gum and plastic fucking tits and shit, like, that's fucking weird. You know what I mean? That's, <laughs> yeah, true. That, that shit's weird. That's you, fucking weird. You're singing about people in Nicaragua getting their asses bombed or, you know, like yeah. people starving in African countries or, or yeah. you know, people in the Middle East and they're getting wiped out by drones and, and the fucking reality of life. Yeah. That ain't weird, man. That's no. that's. That's the shit that needs to be sung about and needs to be brought to the attention because I guess in a way that's got that underground notion as well because mm. people just don't – we've got a tendency, in, in, in especially in the, the first world countries like here, America and all that kind of stuff, to while we're living our daily lives and everything's just hunky-dory – we just shut down on on what's going on, you know, like on on another side of the planet, or yeah. and it's sad. And metal brings that. Like for me, what do you think of when you hear "One" by Metallica? For me, oh. that was one of the first songs that really, nearly like a metal song that made me nearly stop and go, "Oh, holy shit!" You know, like when yeah, I, that was very um shocking when I when I first saw it as a kid. Um, when I hear when I heard the song as a kid, I didn't really understand the song i just liked the tunes yep but when i started to try and understand the song man it was like heavy like just thinking about johnny you know yeah. laying there without his arms and legs and can't talk and oh it's and, crazy and he shit. was to just not be there but he can't do anything he physically can't do anything about it no and, and i actually watched the movie later on in life recently the movie that the song's based on you yep. would have seen it johnny got his gun yeah Oh my God, it's sad. It's actually psychologically, freaking like impair. It just impaired me for days. I was wow. like, yeah, yeah, just thinking about it. Oh, it's. I mean, I've, I've, I go down rabbit holes on on documentaries of. Hmm. Like you go back to World War Two and things like that, World War One, and just the carnage, and it's just like, fuck, like. And and it didn't stop there. It's still going on in some places, you know. Hmm. And oh, mate, you just think. What are we doing? You know, I, I know, right? Like, <laughs> what I, the fuck are we doing? Man? See, in in, I think your yours and my frame of mind, we can we are wondering what the fuck are they doing? Yep. But um, there are actually people out there that we are probably friends with that support that kind of the, the troops and to go and do stuff and all, and go to other countries and bomb oh, other course. countries and yep. so it gets really, it gets tricky to express yourself too much on those subjects when you've got friends that are you, you know what I mean like they even call me maybe anti-Australian if I went against the fact that Australia went 
20,000 miles away to join some war that they didn't really have to join. Oh, yeah. And they yeah. would have killed people in other countries, in other homes, which is, that's un-Australian. You know what I mean? Oh, I totally get it. Yep. <laughs> we don't go into someone's home and oh, kill yeah. them and destroy them and change their culture. And Yeah. But yeah. I don't, at the same time, I don't want to offend them because they've got a lot of pride and honour yeah. in those troops, and which I respect them for. But then you go back to the Australian culture where the first ones... I've always made jokes, and and I, I do find this. And I've gone this whole thing about like, you know, you get five or six people that sort of would turn up on a plane over here, and they'd walk off with guns on. It's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Fuck off! Go on, get back on the plane and fuck off back to the. You know, like it's like Australia be the first guys to be going. What are you doing? And then it's go. Do you realise we've just sent you know like uh, we've assisted NATO like move into a, a complete area and just decimate a village or something like that. Ah, uh, no, we don't do that shit, mate. We're Australian. Well, sorry, we do. And mm. yeah, it's 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 mad. But I mean, that's the kind of real stories and the and the traumas in life that that metal catches so well. Yeah, because it doesn't define it. It just exposes it. It but just talks about it. It's brutal, it. and the yeah. music's brutal. Like back to the front, Metallica. You, you couldn't have a like a, 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 a Accidentally, Kelly Street. Like you couldn't have a song like mm. that going. Accidentally, blew his dick off with yeah. an RP fucking G. Like you couldn't. Yeah. You know, nah. you couldn't. It just it doesn't work. You know. Yeah. But if it's like accidentally blew his cock off with an <laughs> RPG, like it just sounds right. You know. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, yeah, uh, it's it gets the message song. across. You know. And I always wonder what the world would be like without metal. You know, like mm. would be living in a fucking weird world. You know, like it was. And I guess in a way that that sort of early 50s um, pop culture that sort of went against the grain and the hippies started growing their hair was like kind of the, f- the foundations of like hardcore metal. It, hmm. That was kind of the roots, you know, with the bands that sort of went out and went against it, Jefferson Airplane. You know, like hmm. bands like that sort of were the, the roots and then that's what inspired the bands that later come through when that wave of metal took right off you know, in the mid-70s sort of thing, you know, with well, with your Black Sabbaths and your other bands. Well, Led Zeppelin were considered heavy metal yeah. back then. Yeah. They, were, they, were the he- they were heavy. But um, like you said, you know, just evolved from there. Yeah, true. Mm. Um, going, more, more on that subject, um, yeah. going back to, like, if, if, if anyone reads or um, learns about the old Ottoman Empire, they started the first army band. That's what, yeah, they had, they, they were the first ones to have an army band. They, right. they, because they loved war so much, yep. they'd like, you know, play and celebrate it, you know. Have you got a, you got a time period when that was? Oh, geez, maybe a thousand years ago. Oh, so it's right back, you're less. talking. Maybe 800 years ago. Yeah, right. Yeah. So were they using like things like the drums and yep, stuff like that? drums to, and the flutes. For marching and that to. And those clarinetty type things, those really long sort of yep. trumpety. Yep. But they've got an an actual um they've compiled an album in Turkey called the Mata. Right. It's got like about I don't know ten songs on it of those old songs which they've recreated. Wow. And recorded and everything. Yeah. And it's like you know, war gives us souls and all this stuff like that. Yeah, I bet I bet it's actually relatable today. Well, it sounds metal to me. Yeah. The 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 chords and the the, the notes and the stuff they sing about, it sounds metal and. The guitar, the suz, is called. It's got the stringed instruments. Also came from around that time as well. They started playing that, and then it went into, um, you know, it's like it's like the granddaddy of metal. You know, it went that way rather than towards like classical and stuff. But even then, 
um, Mozart, as a six-year-old, was sent to the Ottoman Empire to learn music. That's to, right. Because yes. musical notes were invented by the Ottoman Empire. They mm. invented musical notes, as well as even numeric numbers. If you ask any mathematician, they'll say those numbers are called Arabic numbers. Yep. So Mozart, as a six-year-old, went to um, Istanbul, learnt the music and piano and came back to his hometown uh, a hero. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. Well, I played in a band called Zemya, and they were all Balkans, so they were from, you know, Yugoslavia. Mm. And the scales, I, I remember, with all the music and the way it was, and even the, the polka type of breaks in the music with the, the, the eastern scales. And I said, mm. where did this all come from? And he said the same thing. Turkey, yeah. um, the Middle East is where all that music sort of developed and it's, it went right up north into Russia, into the Balkans, yeah. you know, and then kind of just fritted out a little bit round about the Germanic sort of areas, you know, and then, yeah. but it all, yeah, like that music was was sort of from around that, that, that musical scaling and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. you're right, developed in that area. So, well, yeah, really cool. As, as a, when I was really young and I had both my parents with me, yep. um, even before school, my dad would put on some Turkish music and I'd never heard anything like it since until I heard Metallica. Got it. Kurt Hammett's solos yep. sounded like Turkish music to me. I wonder if Kirk Hammett has any... I, I, I believe say he, Turkish blood, but I think he's a lot more South American. But He's got some kind of... But, but the actual metal sound and those metal notes yeah. are what related... To that, yep. it's it's like a this long, uh, you know, disattached sort of lineage of music that have you know like the granddaddy of it was like way back then. Well, it's so different to blues, isn't it? Because it's not that repetitive. Mm. Well, well, blues was know. like a um, a stepping stone to metal. Yeah, could, like the, you know the jank 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 with their guitars and their you know. Well, probably that 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 Irshing that you're talking about, you know that. Mm. That droning and that of those notes probably kicked off with the blues and then married that and then on yeah. come that distortion and that with the blues because yeah. they wanted to get hold those <laughs> notes and get it squealing and yeah. your BB King and your you know they all wanted to get that they wanted it talking <laughs> and then it just got heavier and heavier and then you obviously had guys going hang on a minute if I dial this all the way to eleven yeah next thing you go the you know. Well, what point did they go? That sounds fucking terrible and then next day it's like holy shit we're onto something here Bob yeah yeah. Yeah, like uh, you know, um, Marty getting on stage and Back to the Future and playing that friggin' Hell solo back in the old days. Like, what I, I the hell's this scene shit? Where he, where he back to, just because it's the start of the very first one, isn't it? Where he's just walking into Doc's sort of lab, mm. isn't it? And he opens the door and goes in. He takes his backpack off, yeah. and he goes and starts turning That's off right. everything, switching everything on the dials. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then he just sits in front of that. And do you remember the size of the speaker? Fucking huge. I mean, I know Michael J. Fox is a little fucker, but, <laughs> but that speaker was at least like diameter of about 11 feet. And he's just yeah. in front of it, hits his cord and blows him <laughs> six feet back. Yeah, that's metal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mate, so... Well, today, today's, my, in, my, in my opinion, people may differ or disagree with me. Yep. There are some, there's some seriously heavy metal bands out there like really heavy grindcore thrash death for, for my own um, choice yep. um, worm rot 
worm rot are from Singapore. Yep. Um, the singer's got the same name as my uncle, Arif. You know, from the same, they all come from the same, he's actually Muslim as yep. well. Yep. All the Turks are Muslim. Yep. Arif's Muslim. You know, his wife, you know, wears a Muslim headscarf and stuff. Could you get a more metal name? Arif. Oh. Arif. Arif. Yeah, Arif. Yeah. And his his um his his son is named Akil. Oh really? But that's that means um, smart or clever in the old Arabic language. That's probably more metal. Actually, the same language Arif, where yeah. Jamaat comes from. Yeah, Akil. Yeah. Akil is actually intelligence Got or it. smartness. But in in our language, Akil is like Akil. <laughs> and he, his son, his when he was about six, he actually did the artwork for my Jamaat album on my CD. Yeah, and it's so. Uh, yeah. So your is it your father that was Turkish? Yeah, or he can, your father and mother, or um, well, that my, my mother's a bit tricky. I'll just say she was Aussie, yep. but um, my my dad he was from Istanbul. Got it. Yeah, his um his lineage goes back to yeah yeah way back. Did to you ever the, dive into a family tree and sort of? Oh uh, yeah, I did. I, I know exactly where I come from. Yeah, and it's it's a very interesting place. Whereabouts is it in? Is, well, it, is it close to Istanbul or in Istanbul itself? Or? Well, from my dad's side, it's um, all Istanbul. Yep. But it goes deeper than that. It goes all the way back to um, oh, back to um, Mecca and um, Medina, mainly Medina. Yeah, Medina right. more so than Mecca. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, Medina was a different place to Mecca. Mecca's like the heart of Arabia. True. Medina was the um, basically when there was a revolution to get rid of the disgusting habits that Mecca had where, you know, they would bury their daughters alive because it wasn't a boy. Got it. This is that documented history. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they'd inherit their mothers, basically. You know, your dad dies, you inherit your mother. Got it. Because she's a, a, an object. Yeah. Basically, the um, people from Medina, they came to Mecca at that time and um, revolutionised the whole place. They destroyed all that shit... Um, culture yeah, yeah. and um, introduced uh, things like equality with women and men, um, <laughs> loving your female daughter just as much as your male yep. son, yep. you know, and um, the stuff like that. So my lineage goes back to Medina. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to hear that. Um, I mean, mm. a lot of people just think as soon as you mention Muslim, everyone's mm. got this preconceived notion, but mm. It, it, mm. it's actually a really beautiful and amazing culture if you, if you understand it and you go you go right back to you know like to when not only turkey turkey was and you talk about the ottomans again mm. they were kind of a country that they, they knew just what they needed to take in order to run the place well they didn't want to conquer the world mm. you know what i mean like the ottomans sort of traveled out and through europe but they they weren't like the sort of the Byzantines or the, you know, they didn't quite go right in and sort of say, well, we want everything, you know. Yeah. And well, they, they, they conquered the, the Byzantine. The Byzantines had Istanbul. Yeah. Um, Istanbul used to be like the Vatican City for the Romans. Got it. It was a central of their Catholic, um, it was the Vatican City. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the problem was um, on the Turkish side of the story is the people there were oppressed and, you know, they were pissed off with their government and they were going through like hardships and stuff and they would write letters to the Ottoman Empire because they heard that the Ottoman Empire people are more happy yep. so they told them come and take us S over save us yeah. yeah so they went there and they, they and they took it over after that and took Istanbul it pissed the Greeks off 
till today. Actually, a lot of Greeks are upset really? at Turks. Yeah. Really? Wow. yeah, I've had Greek enemies as a kid because of that, and I didn't even know about it. <laughs> yeah. But I made friends with them eventually. But um, yeah. So they for seven hundred years they ruled like probably a quarter of the planet. Do you know how long and how far back that the Hajj pilgrimage goes to, to like to Mecca? How it goes back? Well, when the people from Medina came to Mecca and um, overthrew it, yep. um, that's when the Hajj started. The Hajj actually represents the day that it was taken. Got it. Yeah. Yep. So it was like a huge celebration. and But um, there was pilgrimage to Mecca way before that, but there was like 360 different gods in the Mecca. So all different people from around the world would come to visit their own god. Right. So there was a lot of trade. So all Muslim faith, but different deities. No, none of them. None of them were Muslim it before wasn't that. Muslim. Yeah, it wasn't existent. There was Jews and Christians and That's pagans. Right. Got it. So um, and a lot of idol worship. So, yeah. Um, yeah, when when and a lot of trade. There's a lot of trade for the small government that they had in Mecca. So they were extra pissed off at. I'll, I'll just say his name. We call him Prophet Muhammad. Yep. He he born and raised in Mecca. And, um, you know, his uncle was Ayub and he had, like, a beautiful wife. And, every, you know, he had a, a, a beautiful wife for about 25 years yep. till she passed away. And then he married wives from different tribes to bring them together. But his first wife for 25 years, totally loyal. She helped him with everything. Um, she actually had her own business and everything and, like, supported him. Yep. And his only mission was to get rid of all the bullshit in Mecca. Yeah, because Prophet yeah. Muhammad, he was a very peaceful man, wasn't he? he was yeah. There's, there's very, tons of books on him. Wise, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, people just know what the media says, that he was oh, bad, exactly. badass. I, I actually <laughs> read, I read a book like years ago called um, Bhagavad Gita, oh, yeah. which it goes back into like the Hindu, and mm. it actually goes back into the, the, the correlation between Hindu and Muslim and mm. how it all came out and spread mm. throughout, you know, like all through middle of Europe and then down into Indonesia and that's why, like, yeah, and then India. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, and that's... A, and that's most why of Pakistan that was... and India, that, that while one's Hindu and the other one's sort of Muslim, that but yeah. it, it went, reached down into those areas and it's just it's just crept through civilization and... Well, most we of that was today, done through the Ottoman Empire when they... Because yeah. after, um, after, after Mecca was overtaken by yeah. Prophet Muhammad and his, you know, gang... Um, it got corrupt again when after after some you know probably hundred two hundred years or so it got corrupt again got it. and that's when the Turks came in and they took over the caliphate or the leader of the religion of Islam yeah, yeah and then they brought it to Istanbul which was Constantinople so that became the head of the Muslim world now wow yeah. And, um, I don't it, know how we got on this, but it's so interesting to, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a long subject. It's oh, a, it's, it's, a, it's fantastic. And yeah. it's, to be honest, like, you, there's not many people. I've got um, a friend of mine who lives just up the road that's uh, a Muslim man. And yeah. we often, and he, he loves the fact that I'm curious and I ask these questions, you know. He's yeah. like, he goes, I actually love hearing somebody want, wanting to know and yeah. instead of just thinking they know. Oh, man. You know? And, then, and wanting to learn as, you know, thinking that they just... They've got it. They know what oh, it's all about. It, you know? the, it's the most frustrating part for me is I spent, a bit, well, in those 25 years of being in a family, um, I spent many of those years reading about different religions and including Islam yep. with Muslims. And um, what's frustrating for me now is just listening to someone rattle on about what they think they know about the religion. And 
if you try and correct them, you come across as like a, a preacher or a, you're trying to convert them, but it's not the case. Yeah. It's like you're just upset that they're just missing out on the actual point of everything they're saying. They've gone straight to the dark side. You know what I mean? Like instantly <laughs> we're all terrorists side. and we want to kill. If you th- well, Okay, I can prove a point here. If Muslims were terrorists, right? Right. And we wanted to kill every non-Muslim, there's one third of the world are Muslim already. A third of the world. That means every Muslim only has to kill two people. <laughs> and we're done. And we're gone. We're done. But we, we haven't. And there's a reason for that because we're not meant to kill. No, well, that's it. I mean, uh, getting back to just talking talk to um, a, a few Muslim people that have, it's a very peaceful. Once you understand, like, what I mean, it's like anything. You, you take you take text and you can interpret it. Let's take a text message for example. Yeah, shit. You know, I'm going to meet you in the car park. Yeah. Oh shit, he wants to beat me head. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, 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 dude. I just actually that's the where I'll meet you in the car park because like we'll load in there. You know, like it's. When you see it, an interpretation, like if they read any, like the, whether it be the Quran, the Bible, it doesn't matter what it is, people are going to take it and they're going to construe the text and make it yeah. whatever they want it to be. Well, since okay. we're on this subject, um, if, let's say, for example, everybody was educated about Islam mm-hmm. and they thought, just like Constantinople wanted the Muslim Turks to take them over because they heard about how good it was over there, if we all were educated about Islam and we said, hey, man, we should become a Muslim country because now we understand that it's actually better. There's no interest, you know, things like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. No banks t- charging mortgage. You, you pay like three houses by the time you pay your one house off. Yep. It's, it's terrible. It, you become a slave your whole life to pay one dwelling off. And if we're born on this planet, we should be given a house, technically, which is what they were doing in... Um, Gaddafi's land before they killed him. Mm. Everyone who got married, he'd give them land and a house and money because it was their right as a human being on this planet. Well, Whereas the system that we're under is we got no rights. You have to slave your whole life and pay interest to get a loan to live in a freaking house. Oh, it's mad. Yeah. My, so, fa- my father paid $3,500 for his house. Wow. That's one, gen- one, that's one generation. Wow. I'm living in a shoebox, which is a much bit like it's no it's no massive place. It's not small either, but it's not massive. Yeah. And it's five hundred plus thousand dollars. Exactly. So the last thing they want is us to be educated on any other system, whether it be Muslim or Islam or whatever, that's better than this system. So we don't rise fundamentally yeah. and change the way that And the way are. they do that is by Painting Muslims as bad terrorists. Don't go near them. Don't even read any of their books. Don't be like them in any way. You know, that's what we're told in the media. We, Muslims are like, you know, desert people that want to kill us all. So that what they do is they focus... I mean, there are. there's no denying hmm. that there are Muslim entities that are extreme. Yeah, and they're, if, you went, there, if but, you went into statistics on that one, though, yeah, yeah. if you got all... If you got, the number of Muslims on this planet yep. and then the statistics of the bad ones in that number yep. are still far less than every other religion and every other culture. The yeah. statistics of the baddies in every other culture are way more than... Oh, yeah. You get me? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's like... Um, 
and I've got to bring a bit of humour here. I guess I guess when we talk about your, your jihadis and the, the mad ones that are sort of going yeah. crazy a lot with, yeah. and, and everyone says ISIS, you know, everyone goes, oh, yeah. ISIS, ISIS. But I mean, there's there's um, the Mujahideen and, and there's mm. there's all sort of entities and factions and all that kind of mm. stuff. A lot of them and that are just pissed off because of what's gone on and it's been brought on by, mm. you know, Western governments. Mm. In particular, the, the big one over there that old Joey Biden's running at the moment, you know. But mm. yeah, it's and, absolutely. And insane. they're all they're all fighting in their own lands. But I've always said that they're, they're not like, coming to Australia and killing like, us. Yeah, they're 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 technically they're one percenters. Yeah. You know, like it's it's they're they're the one percenters too, and it's it's yeah they you know what and it yeah I sort of I sit back and I, I listen to people sort of say things and there's. There's a few things you can dive in, and this is getting pretty dark too, but there's a few <laughs> things you can dive into if you really want to go into the darker web mm. and you actually see stuff that isn't filtered mm. and that hasn't been, and you see what's gone on in some of these. Can you imagine for mm. one second if you're out working hard yeah. and an American drone has gunned down or set off a bomb and taken out your entire family? Yeah. I don't care who you are. I'd be exactly the same. I'd find it very, very difficult within myself to forgive anyone for it, yeah. and we'd go completely fucking nutcase. We would go nuts. Absolutely. Difference yeah. is, if a, a Muslim guy went nuts, he would be labelled as a terrorist as a and terrorist. public enemy number one. Yeah. If it was you or me or any Australian that it happened to, and yeah. he went nuts, it'd be like, fuck, let's support this guy, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's go and kill those bastards that killed his family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. On the other on the other side of this this subject, it didn't take um, long to get deep. <laughs> no, yeah. right in there. Yeah. See, I was talking to um, a friend the other day about um, how you know you got boat people and stuff. Yep. And um, they're like leaving their country because they're getting you know this shit going on over there, and they have they they've heard that Australia is safe or America's safe, and they they're trying to get there to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I found that um, if you, you got to look at it the other way now. Let's say, for example, Australia was getting attacked and shit was going down here. I don't know a single Aussie that would get on a boat. Yeah. yeah. I don't know one. Not, every person I know would stay here and fight until death to defend this place. Yeah. Which is... I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you why I, I disagree with that a bit. Because there's a lot of bravado, but yeah. Australia's been live, lived in this mm. little cocoon and this little bubble. Yeah. That's what led so many Australians to sign up to go over to World War One and World War Two. And when mm. they got over there, they went, holy fuck. Mm. They weren't ready for it. No. But they, they did a good job, don't get me wrong. But mm. I think that would be the case here too, where they'd go, oh, chest out, you know, fucking come on, you know. Yeah. You know, as soon as like heads are taken off, they'd be like, "Holy shit, get me on that boat!" Yeah, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. Like I that. can't imagine. I, I can't imagine that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I can see, like I've got actual friends' faces in my mind right now. Yeah, what yeah. they would do. Yeah, and what I would do. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, I but guess. But do you think when when you say that, like, and and I must admit, there's people over there too that would probably more happy if things were right at home. Yeah. I mean, I've got friends over here that are that are still awaiting visas. Yeah. And I said to them, I said, do you want to be here? They went, well, look, I don't want to sound bad, but not really. Yeah. 
we're here because we just can't be at home because mm. of what's going on at home. Friends from the Congo, places like that, um, massive like sort of war-torn country, and vendettas that are still being paid out, you know, now to this day, and it goes families deep. Mm. Can't go back home. And I said, well, do you want to be here? They went, no, this isn't our home. Mm. But I'd love to go back home. Well, and they'll, it, nev- they'll never like, feel at home here. No, they there's won't. And it's, you kind of wish that when these things go down in the world, yeah. instead of going, like, ha- 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 there's got to be somebody in the world with the smarts to say, we know how to fix this problem. Well, the, the problem yeah. the problem that they've got where they came from was because they just don't have any unity. They've got, like, factions within their own country and yeah. they're fighting each other already. Yeah. They've already been divided and conquered, and yeah. then whoever was ruling went the next level to eradicate, basically. Yep. So they just—they've got no foot to stand on. They've got nothing to lean, no wall to lean on. They've had to jump on their boats and come over here. But I think um, the character of of a person that jumps ship away from his own home to um, I don't know have a peaceful life and yeah. n- not but 90% of them aren't that 90% of them want worldly things like they just want to have a better a better life with and get a good job and have money and stuff like that because yep. I've been overseas and I've been to these countries and there are shit there you can do man there's heaps of shit I actually liked being in some of those countries a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Australia. A, no, don't get, but fucking no, hell, right. there's, some of there's those a, places are awesome. Look, I know this, and I guess I've got to say it the right way, but there's a particular freedom mm. in not having ownership of too many material things. And right. that's common knowledge. Like, it's not being tied into the system. Mm. And when you go to some of the poorer countries on the planet, like, I mean, I travel through Java, for example, in some of the poorest parts of Java. Mm. The people were happy. happy. They were happy. Yeah, man, and the chickens they taste better. Much, you know? <laughs> you know, the chickens the, taste better. It's not full of hormones <laughs> and shit. But you know, I'll tell you what. When they weren't happy is when they couldn't save somebody. If mm. that makes sense. For example, if they if they had a child that had a, a leukemia or something like that, mm. they didn't have the facilities to give that child hope. It was left to the gods, basically. Mm. So that, for me, was the reality of what I saw. And when I had conversations, because like this podcast, I love asking questions and learning. I'm I'm always Mm. trying to sponge in this information on how people feel, why do they think that certain way. And, Mm. yeah, they they sort of pointed that out. They went, look, we we are happy, we get by, but what you've got is is hospital care and doctors Mm. and nurses. And I went, I'd never thought of that. Yeah, true, but I mean, heaps of people die here too is with the system, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like, so many cancer patients, they just can't... A lot of kids as yeah. well. Yeah, So... Oh, I mean, it's happening, but the difference there, just to be clear, was the fact yeah. that they didn't have the opportunity to go to hospital. Yeah. You know, they just... They didn't have that within their countries or... Oh, well, you know, they'd have a shaman say, come and give some kids some rights and hopefully yeah. things on. But actually, another thing, in saying that too... There was nowhere near the numbers that we have here. Yeah. So whether it's related to processed foods or and there's another one. Yeah, like, <laughs> like Vietnam hands. and stuff, man. They like eat rice and stuff, good stuff, veggies and 
you know, coriander. I can't handle coriander, though. Coriander and cabbage, <laughs> they're, the two, they're the two most evil things ever put on a planet. Uh, must be good for you. Oh, they're in the kale, mate. Seriously, kale is like, you know, <clears throat> Scottish thistle? No. Because Scottish thistle, like, it's like a, it's, it's like a, it looks like a Christmas sort of bush, like, uh-huh. yeah, but it's got thorns in it. <laughs> and give me that over kale any day of the week. Oh, God, that cabbage. <laughs> My wife's Japanese, so she's cabbage is a very big part of the Japanese diet. Oh, yeah, But Japanese. I've never heard a Japanese person fart. Have you? No. How many Japanese people do you know? Quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> Heaps. I wonder if it sounds different, like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more angry. Sorry. Oh, Turkey's got a good history with Japan, actually. Have they? Yeah. The um, Japanese emperor sent a ship full of gifts and jewellery to the Ottoman Empire. Uh, really? it, yeah. So when it got to the Ottoman Empire, um, they wanted to outdo them and put more gifts on the ship and more beautiful rugs and the best shit that they could find and sent it back to Japan, but it sunk from the weight just off Japan. Wow. So the Turks that's managed to survive that sinking, landed in Japan back then, and stayed there and had families. And there's a, there's a coastline of um, mixed Japan and Turkish people. So, wow. And they got statues Because I knew that there know, was... Spe- uh, the, oh, was it Spanish or was it Venezuelans or something like that that, mm. that went over and, and there was a few monks that sort of got washed up and they were accepted in? Because yeah. Japan would either do one thing or the other. They'd either behead you on the beach <laughs> or... <laughs> Or, or, or they were allowed to sort of... But they're a very curious culture, so it depends, I guess, which clan you ended up landing with, Yeah. which way it went for you, because some want to accept you in and learn from you. Yeah, well, at that time, they had a really good relationship with um, the Ottoman Empire and yeah. Japan, so they well, were like... I can't remember if it was the Maeda period or the Edo period when they shut the borders again. There was oh. a period when it was open, and then it shut, and then it opened, then it shut again, and now it's open, but... At the moment, actually, I tell you, it's shut again at the moment. So, man, I saw this documentary about Japan where primary schools are shutting down because the population is going backwards. Yes, all the young, and there's no youngsters left. No, no, no. What's happening is is that um, in Japan, like it's people aren't being getting married. Wow. Men, men are spending all their time like probably rubbing it out to hentai. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck they're doing, but they they fall in love with inanimate objects. Yeah, I heard, gonna, they, I heard they've got a vending machine that does women's knickers Yeah, that, <laughs> in that, Japan. Mate, that's not unusual. That, well, sounds, you know. that sounds about right. They've oh, is, is it true that... Um, I, I, I'm going to feel really embarrassed if I'm wrong, but is it true that Japan have somehow processed shit so you can eat it again? Oh, you've got me on that one. <laughs> they've made like a beef jerky, but it's shit. Can you just get that mic a little bit away from you? Yeah, sorry. Just, just a touch. No, it's all right. Yeah, you've just come up a couple of. Yeah, I've read it somewhere or saw it yeah, somewhere. You might be right. I, I don't know about that. That's um. They've dried it out and they've done some <laughs> shit to it. Done some to the shit. Well, Japan's one of the most wackiest countries, but the most beautiful countries I've ever been to. Like, mm. it's a spin out. But yeah, I really don't know about that one at all. <laughs> yeah, so. But, yeah, but the, the country is in decline. What's happening is people just aren't getting married. Well, for example, Kenneko, my wife, um, all her friends, let's just, I'm going to take 15 random friends. Mm. Out of that 15 random friends, probably five or six are married with kids. Wow. The rest aren't. 
she's got a whole heap of those friends that are 40 years old, single, yeah. no boyfriend. Wow. Out of that, another four or five of those are probably still virgins. No way. Yes way. And now you're 40. Yeah. Jeez like, Louise. if you're going to make a movie called The 40-Year-Old Virgin in Japan, <laughs> you're, you're hitting a massive target audience. Like, Man, that, maybe they need, like, they don't have Tinder or something over there. They've got things like, it's sort of weird. Like, I've always said this thing about Japan, about, and, and it's kind of true. I used to be a tour guide, mm. and I used to take tours from, like, Perth to Darwin, and I'd have a, a truck, and everyone would be camping or would go stay at, like, Sort of, it wasn't, it was backpacker sort of camping, you know. So we'd sleep in swags, tents, and all that kind of stuff. We'd go into the outback and I'd take people all through like Panalulu or up through the Mitchell Plateau or, mm. you know, Broome, James Price Point, all those kinds of places, um, camping, and that. And then we end up in Darwin. And occasionally I get Japanese through because they, they're kind of like a, a hotel room or somewhere to have it. They're all about having a shower because Japanese are very clean people. Mm. But one thing I found is that all the drivers that have been a tour guide for a long time, I'd say 85 to 90% of them had Japanese partners. Yeah. And I used to think it's because, oh, they're really nice girls. Like, it's sort of, I could tell you firsthand that when I got with my wife, it, like, mm. and I guess this is a bit personal, but things like in the shower, they'll, they'll scrub you down and clean you. And, mm. you know, like that's just sort of, it's just the way the culture is. They they shower together and they clean each other. They help loving, each other get clean. It's loving just, and It's caring. just the culture. Like, and it, it blew my mind. I went, this is the fucking shit. <laughs> like, you know, can you imagine asking Shazza to come in and, Shazza, <laughs> come in and clean your ass crack. What? Yeah. Fuck do yeah, yourself, do it cat. yourself, you fucking dickhead. <laughs> well, that's what it would be like, but it's just a beautiful culture. Yeah. But for some reason... Um, like they're either really quiet and shy, but then you get it behind a closed door. Mm. I would be careful to say because I'm kind of it's kind of being <laughs> sexist in a way what I'm mm. saying, but I really don't mean it like that. Mm. Then if they get a chance to liberate them, and you do see it in Japan where they liberate themselves and they go completely fucking other end of the spectrum. Like there's yeah, no, right. yeah, they're either you know they've got this high kawaii, yeah. kambawa, pinky <laughs> deska, you know, and they're very sort of like. Shy and polite, and mm. and they're sort of very shy and talk like that. Mm. But they're they're all dying to to have a guy just take them. See, that's the way it is in Japan. If you're a guy in Japan, mm. I've been a guy in Japan, mm. and you go over there and you just sort of like go up to a girl, hey, you know, and you just tell them what's what. Mm. Do you want to come home with me tonight? Yeah. In Australia, they go. Oh, you're being a bit forward. Piss off your dickhead. And that, like that, oh. That's kind of what they're waiting for in Japan because it's it's a male... It's kind of old school with the males kind of... It's, it's cultural again, but yeah. it's the, the boys in Japan are just not... Interested. Not interested. <laughs> oh, yeah, they've got so many distractions and mm. they're worried because it's the one country on the planet that's in a massive decline. Yeah, it's crazy. For, yeah. So... And and what's happening now is rich business partners and owners that have businesses and and have got uh, daughters. Mm. Uh, 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 if there's you know a family with three boys or something like that, if the daughters don't want to marry that guy, they'll they'll just adopt the boy. <laughs> you take our name, and and I'm, I'm in a family that's done that, and no, you shit. take our name. Yeah. And we'll give you the business. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's mad. It's crazy. Like it's, so, you know, I wouldn't be Jai D anymore. I'd be mm. Jai um, Mida. 
yeah. or you know Joy Fakamura and <laughs> and I've just inherited like fucking Yamaha boat motors far out because he had he had all daughters and yeah it's it's so they don't want to leave it to the daughter it's starting to change yeah. but for a long time it was like that yeah, yeah. that's another thing that spins me out man in primary school we had a subject on Japanese like Japan is a tiny little place and it's in decline, yet we had a compulsory subject on Japanese in primary school. But how they you, drank tea, how yeah. they sat. I know why. Why? Because, how old are you? I'm, I'm... I was born in 75. Yeah, cool. Well, I was born in 74, so we mm, probably went yeah. to school around about the same time. Yeah. So back then, we grew up in the 80s. Mm. During the 80s... Uh, Japan was the world's leader in technology. Yeah. Like, a lot of schools are doing Chinese this day because, like, you need to be able to read Chinese on a lot of things. Yeah. Economically, where we as Australians are doing a lot of trade with China. The other one's Indonesia, so a lot of schools are doing Indonesia. Yeah. Not so much Japan, but back in the 80s, Japan was the country. Um, if you work for a technology company or a machinery company and all that was all Japanese products. And... The government implica it like put that into the curriculum to mm. boost our relationship with the Japanese, and also had like if you've got a country, mm. you want them. And I'm not going to say the enemy because it's probably the wrong word, but know the other guys. Yeah, you you want to know them. So the more people that we have that could speak their language and understand their culture, yeah, okay, it yeah. works good for that economical. Yeah, so union, you know. So it was basically a um, they. They made us do that for the benefit of whatever the government had planned for us Absolutely. to do. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas, like I said before, two-third of the world's population are Muslim. Yep. Never had one second of education no. on that religion and that culture in my entire school years. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. I had to go and learn it myself. Yeah. Well, that's a f the thing too. If you learn Bahasa, yeah. you know, in Indonesian schools, yeah. Um, Bahasa now is, I guess, that's the first time or probably that you could say that because mm. Bahasa, while it's not a direct Middle Eastern mm. Muslim-speaking language, yeah, it's still a language spoken by a Muslims, huge amount which are of Muslims. 200 now. million of them. Yeah. Up the road. <laughs> Up the road, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's why they're doing a lot of Indonesian now too. And I, I swear the heads of government sit down and they say, Rightio, what do we need our kids to learn? What mm. what do we need to grow up knowing and understanding? And Japanese is off the radar now. But yeah, yeah. but um, Chinese I know is a big one, and so is um, Indonesian. Mm. Yeah, mate, you are uh, you're you're not from WA originally, are you? you no, I was you, born in you, Sydney. Yeah, grew up over in Sydney. Yeah. I, I came here when I was nine, though. You're nine years old, I came here. Yeah. Where was the first stop in Sydney? Whereabouts were you living over there? Um, I was born in Camberdown yep. in Sydney. Yep. And um, the first school I remember going to was Croydon Park Primary. Got it. Camberdown, the hospital there in particular, was the yeah. best child's hospital in New South Wales. Oh, there you go. So anyone that was sick where I'm from in Newcastle would go to Camberdown Children's Hospital. Yeah, that's where I was born. Yeah. yeah. It was um, the, big, the big hospital. So... Do you con do you consider yourself a, a WA bloke or a? Oh uh, yeah. Or do you, yeah, or do you would, sort I, of watch I, the blues I, playing? Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a cockroach. You I know? consider myself <laughs> WA because um, 
coming here at nine years old has been, been here fucking been here, you know, all that. I hardly remember much of Sydney. I do remember bits, but yeah, yeah. this is, but for some reason, I can't stop myself from going for the Sydney fucking swans. Oh, if same. they're playing, yeah. it's weird. Yeah, they're the AFL side for me. The I'm not even that much into been. footy, but if they're playing, I'm going for them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the same. I, when it comes to the AFL, I, I'm not huge on it, but I had this uh, notion when I was younger, I was a bit of a fan, but I still remember sitting up at Coral Bay. I can't remember the year, but it was when... Remember they had two two grand finals where Sydney beat the Eagles by one point. And it and was then a the miracle. Next year, and then the next year it was the other way around by one point. Oh, God. And I was like sort of going for the swans, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I got ran out of town. Like, <laughs> like yeah. There was dudes on verandas playing banjos up there. Ding, 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 And I just had to get out of town. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. So you made your way over here at nine and then just what kicked around. Where'd, where'd you grow up? Which part of town? Um, Mainly Scarborough and yep. Woodlands and Churchlands. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you were saying that you, and, and I've read this because I'll, I'll just jump down this sort of for a minute. You have been basically doing a lot of writing and, and throwing it out there for people to see. Yeah. Um, in particular, some of your Facebook posts where you're talking about you, just divulging mm. like ha- how you came to be, where you grew up. Yeah. I read that you know you'd done a lot of couch surfing in your younger days, you know, and mm. you slept on different couches and home life was not the best and you wanted out and yeah so at what age was it when you when you felt the need to sort of to clear out a home um okay so even even before coming to Perth like under the age of nine um the oldies were having problems back then and I I remember mm, not having a choice to be where I was, yep. um, I'd end up with people that I didn't know. Got it. So whether my parents knew them well enough or not, they, they would leave me there to sort their own problems out because they always had problems. Um, coming coming to Perth, see, my, my dad's like, my dad's a dreamer. He's a real dreamer, a real hopeful, Casanova romantic dreamer. Like... Every friggin' sign on earth could tell him it's not gonna work, mate. But his hope and dream and shit would convince him it can work. So he would go and try and so make hugely, it work. Hugely optimistic. Hugely, like yeah. unnaturally, like you know, um, harmfully optimistic. So he kept trying to keep shit together. And my mum just didn't want to, really didn't want to the whole time. But he would do shit you know, roses and just fucking everything he could. So they would get back together and collect the kids because I've got an older brother. Yep. And then um, we came to Perth. They thought they'll try and make it work after a big 5,000-kilometre freaking drive. It might work there. But it didn't. So um, I made friends quickly. I learned how to make friends quickly Yeah. when yeah. I came to Perth. And I'd, 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 just, I'd just pick the drug house. I'd pick those houses where... You could walk in and you're a kid and they would they'd take you. Yep, yeah. You know what I mean? They'd yeah. let you they'd let you sit down with them. They'd let you have a cone at freaking ten years old. <laughs> you know, a beer. I, I would find those houses really quickly and start hanging out there because I know that home's gonna break up any second. Yeah. And this is where I'm gonna be sleeping. And I suppose mm. what you don't get out of those houses is them telling you, um, 
mate, you, you've got to go back home. You, what are mm. you doing here? You've got mum and dad. Your mum and dad are missing you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You don't get that in that environment. No. It's like it That's was like, um, yeah, unspoken. The they don't care. Yeah, exactly. It was unspoken. They just understood. Yep. They just knew. And those people were my, always my family. There's lots of different places I stayed at. Yep. But they, they all knew me you know, more than anyone else. And I was more comfortable with them more than anyone else. Yeah. It wasn't like I was some poor kid stuck in a drug house and you know, this and that. Yep. It was I chose to be there because they get me. Yeah. And I can take cones and I can freaking relax and have fun and just, you know, yep. forget about all the bullshit. Yeah, no one's giving you a hard time. Yeah. Yep. So that's It wasn't about I'm, the allure of like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this young and that. I'm, I'm a rebel. It wasn't that at no. all. It was just yeah. you are comfortable. Exactly. Totally Cause, get it. Because if I went to a... I know... You know, other other houses that have got it together and they're, like, not druggies and they're, like, real, like, you know, upper-class, cool people. Yeah. They just would say, what the hell are you doing here? Well, you're not going to go to Peppermint Grove with Mr. Yeah. Jones, uh, <laughs> who's, a, a you know, a professor at you yeah, know, a, a UWA. Exactly. And they won't want to bar you. It's like, it's like <laughs> hey, on, Mr. Jones, yeah, good. Uh, do you mind if I just uh, fucking smash a few bombs yeah. here? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, are you talking marijuana, son? <laughs> You need to leave the house straight away, yes. Well, that that's... A, see, the one thing about the Australian culture, I I saw it firsthand as a kid um, because I, I reckon more than most kids, I lived in so many different places with different Australian families yeah. and they all had a similarity. And that similarity is absolute care and love and concern for kids. Absolutely. This is this this culture that Australians have in the eighties and nineties anyway. Yeah. I think it's still there. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. But um my experience did in those years is you know, second to none, man. Like they really take care of you, they really love you, they, they you know it's just the words they say and the phrases and shit like that, it's like yeah, it just I just can't explain how beautiful it is, man. No, it's wicked. Yeah. And did your, I mean, your father's obviously Turk. We both come from families that are not from here. I mean, yeah. my my family's German, so, you oh. know, like, we... I've got a few cousins in Germany. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, actually, a lot of, there's a lot yeah. of people from Turkey have moved in through... Yeah, they're even in it, Parliament now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But... Um, Weasels. The, <laughs> I don't think they've been Schwabish hard where my family's from for some reason. It's a bit of a bit of a stronghold for the old you know, VR German. But uh, <laughs> the um, the thing I was about to say is that did your father really work hard? And I guess it was a thing back then too. No. Nowadays we're really proud of he where we're from. He never worked hard enough. And people don't, <laughs> people don't want to let go of their you know because you're different. No. So he he's. He was pretty staunch Turkish all the Nah, he was a he was a reject of Turkey, that's why he came to Australia. So did he try hard to be an Australian? Yeah, from yeah, mouth. Yeah. He tried way too and hard. My father, you could not <laughs> to, apart from the his name is Gunter Deeg, yeah. you know, you would not know that he is German. <laughs> you, you, he's like uh, Well my my dad, um his family in Turkey, he was like the rat of the the, the naughty fucking Asshole of that place. <laughs> yeah, his dad was. Um, his dad was actually an imam, like a preacher and a religious oh, right. man. And yeah, yeah. Um, he hate my dad because my dad was like, just a. He's always trying to pick up chicks and <laughs> <laughs> shit like that. Well, you go he back put, to my dad used to put a photo in the local shop 
But you go back to the for 70s, the girls. You go back to the seventies, late sixties into the seventies. It was mm. kind of like a period in the Middle East, even mm. through Iran and Iraq and all those places where mm. it's it's nothing like it is today. It was actually it went through this real modernization yeah. back then as well. You know what I mean? But it wasn't sort of. For example, like Iran's probably a really good example. You know, like Iran did change a lot. Yeah, but, but yeah. Turkey's been right at the centre between Europe and Asia. Actually, some of Turkey's in Europe and some's in Asia. Yep. So all, all whatever happened in the world would go through Turkey. Yeah, yeah. It's so a melting pot. It, it went along yeah. with everything, but yeah. Iraq was out of it a bit. So they were they were stuck in a um, a culture which they couldn't really change. Yep. Or yeah. it was it was a very intense culture. So it took a lot more longer to get to them yeah. to change. And then when they did change, it changed quick. But Turkey's also been almost like that. They're kind of like the Morocco of of the Mediterranean as well, where they're, they're, they're heavily involved in the old culture, but they're also the window to the West as well. Yeah. Well, the, fir the first tran trade and things like that the first well. transvestite I ever met was in Turkey when I went to Turkey for a holiday in my oh, really? young adult years. Yeah. I'd, I'd never seen one here or anywhere. Went to Turkey, they had this massive five-storey shopping centre and I went to go buy some a shirt or something and it's like full-on transvestite, the first one I had seen in my life there in Turkey. Yeah. And like, yeah, got along with him or she, I'm not sure, but it, she looked... I think it was a he that was looking like a girl now and right. it was actually very friendly and nice. And, of course, yeah. Yeah, like there was no oppression there or anything like that, what we think would be because Turkey was um, pretty much the most... Way more modern than here, man. If you oh, go absolutely, there, absolutely. Yeah, you yeah. just look back at footage of and, and photographs of back then. You know, they were mm. they were really on the cutting edge of like leading the way in this the modern society. You know, yeah. the you're not going to believe actually where I f first saw my first transvestite. Where you're not going to believe it. Um, King's Cross. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> it's like yeah, you're bound to. I was, yeah. Actually, the the first because I was so naive I didn't even I probably I probably I went out one night at King's Cross when I was oh, I think I just turned 18 mm. and I went I've got to go to King's Cross because that's where that's the you know the danger of Australia you know for me growing red up light. Something, the red light district <laughs> and you know that's where all the sort of gang stuff was going on and um, I ended up working doors in the CrossFit for, for when I was younger did you? Uh, yeah I did doors down there for a while and um as in, like, security? Yeah, I was a doorman. Oh, cool, Yeah, man. I, was, I was a doorman for a few years, and I worked up in Newcastle on doors up there and then ended up down at the... And that gets back to what we are talking about earlier, about me getting like... Because I'm just... Uh, I must be reverting back to those days, but... Mm. And um, I think that caused a lot of the head trauma as well. There's some pretty interesting nights going down yeah, there. Right. Would have been wild, man, back then. The cross... Uh, that's a whole podcast. I could sit there and talk about what went down... <laughs> And, and things like when Abe Saffron was still about and the way he was running the place. Because then you had um, you had the, what's the brothers' names? Uh, they come in, uh, I can't think of their name, and the Lebanese boys. Were um, they affiliated with the bikers? That sort of come later as well, because you've got mm. the Brothers for Life, which is, that's who's running the place now, you know, mm. down in there and that. And um, oh, there's, there's the brothers and it'll come to me. Um, that started buying in a few clubs around there, but you originally were, were it was they really was, big and they had trucks and stuff. That was you're not talking about Samoan Joe and his mob. It could could be those guys. Samoan Joe was a yeah. guy down there. He was a well known figure down there. He was a, yeah. a bouncer, but yeah. he had all these 
Tongan mates that were down there. Mm-hmm. And actually, I worked with a, another friend of theirs, a guy called Opie Fasalo, and he was the biggest human being I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. That guy, that guy, that guy would, he would stand at the door and he was, you couldn't see through the door. <laughs> he was the biggest human I've ever seen, mm. you know. And he, I remember, he, and so, like, so gentle you mm. see him with people, but then he could just, I remember one night he picked a guy up by the crutch and by the throat. Shit. And he pushed him through the front windscreen of a high ace van that was parked on the street, like when shit was going down, you know, and just it's mad. And, and he used to say to me, he goes, "Oh, bro, I can't, I can't hit him with a closed hand because I'll fucking kill him." Yeah. <laughs> and he was not mucking around. Like if he, the power that man would have had if he hit someone that, I mean, a trained fighter for sure, they're conditioned mm. to it. But mm. if he just jabbed some bloke that was on the on the turps, you know. Yeah, he, he they used to call him the one man scrum because he was he was as big as a pack. Like he yeah, was yeah. God, I'd hate to think he would have been six six, maybe six seven, easy, one hundred and ninety, hundred and eighty, hundred and ninety kilos. And we're not talking a big fat Samoan either, we're talking <laughs> boots like Wow. And Samoan, I loved doing the doors when he was on because I felt safe. Yeah, he would. Yeah. I'm, I'm not little. And I was sitting there like when he was on, I was like, dang, fuck, easy, you know. Like, it's not Tongan, is it? It's Samoan's well, not Tongan, is it? No, nah, Tonga and Samoa are two different islands. Right. I'm pretty sure. You've got Western Samoa, and then you've got Samoa, group of and then you've got Tonga, and then you've got Rarotonga and a few other islands around mm. that sort of. But that talking about the Japanese culture, I've always sworn that the Japanese go down to Hawaii mm. and you come down into Tonga, Samoa um, and a few other islands around that sort of area. That's all like, was I reckon it was all connected at one point. Mm. Yeah. But then they say that it was, they actually jumped in boats and paddled mm. and and moved from, you know, like they're on the big island and Maui mm. and all that. And then they just, just decided to go, you know, jump the ocean. And that's how their culture talks about Mm. I think it's Contiki. It's her.
to listen to. When? <laughs> that one we just listened to, the one we just we just heard it then on the <laughs> on the podcast. I don't remember hearing a song, man. Yeah, yeah, we just listened to a song. You, um, we had a short break, and then in our break we played a song, and then we come back and that. But I, it's your song, mate. I don't know what it is. What's oh, right. <laughs> yeah, what song did we just listen to? Um, oh, uh, yeah, we listened to um, Disgrace. It was Disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> tell, me a bit, tell me a bit about that tune, mate. How did that come about? All right, so um, Disgrace is, I mean, in summary, it's about domestic violence about um you know an aggressive male figure beating on a his female partner in front of the kids and then the kid growing up to become an aggressor as well right and, and actually shooting his dad shit <laughs> yeah but um yeah we did a video on it and peter renzillo you know got all the actors and filmed it all for us yep I gave him the script and he just understood it immediately. Like, there was not hardly any explanation on how I wanted anything. He just knew, you know. So he got the actors, he got the, the, the location, got all the cameras, he got some camera help. We got He, he brought lunch that day for everyone. Wow. And, yeah. He's, he's one of the most amazing... And if you actually, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to know who we're talking about, and... Go back, right back in the early days of Stack's podcast, and you'll see Peter Anzullo pop up quite regularly through the through the podcast over the years. Pete and I are very tight, good friends, but we it's it's funny to hear the involvement of Pete early days when he started out Scudley Films to to now. He's a multi award winning winning filmmaker, yeah. and he's an amazing guy, and he's he's making hands down the best clips. Not only, not only in WA, I'm going to say Australia and possibly some of the best in the world right now. He's, mm. he's, he's, and the, the funny thing about Pete, which a lot of people don't know, is that he's only got 3% of vision. Yeah. Yeah, so he's got, um, he's got uh, a lot of vernacular dystrophy. Like, um, he's, his eyes don't, like they basically, the rods in his eyes don't allow him to see, especially in light. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember the movie Pitch Black? Yeah. Vin Diesel, yeah, yeah. So he's kind of got, in a roundabout kind of way, a similar thing. Like when the lights there, he boom, he can't see. So yeah, yeah but in Vin the dark, Diesel. in the dark, he can see better in the dark than he can with a lot of light around. But he can't yeah. see very well at all. And he's a filmmaker, and he's got the best eye and the best sense for <laughs> for the, the the spatial awareness that he has yeah. on the screen. It's phenomenal. He's he's he is he's amazing. He's uh, amazing. He's a freak, yeah. Well, well, the video that he put together for for us was, um, I mean, we finished the video and everything. He did the editing. He sent it to me. I was happy with it. And then I woke up one morning and he's like, guess what? I said, what? He goes, oh, we, um, we're in the runner-up in, in some international film festival for music videos. I said, oh, cool, you know. I already felt like a winner just being the runner-up. But then next day, or... About a week later or so, I wake up again. There's a message from Peter. Oh, guess what? We won. We won an international music video at a music festival overseas. And it was America. And I was like, holy shit. It's like golden picture awards. And then about a week later, oh, guess what? What? We won another one in Russia. Yeah. I stir him up all the time. <laughs> and I say, I say, Pete, I said, 
I've got Photoshop too, mate. Are you making all these awards up? Like, I'll, I'll give them a time. Because you might... You, yeah, you've won the Prussian... What was it? The Prussian Mysterious Award for Best Film Clip. For, yeah, I mean, I've never heard of that, you know, and I give him a hard time. But no, they're legit. He's actually winning these things, eh? So. Well, I, I had that um, little bit of doubt inside me as well. Yeah. I actually went online and double-checked it. Yep. Went to the places that he said we won. And exactly. No yeah. offence to Peter, no. but it was just oh, no, unbelievable. Th- th- that's the beautiful thing about Pete, because, like, we were just having a chat about mm. just speaking, like, cutting the cutting the fat and just mm. not talking shit and just saying to people, you know, sometimes people take it to the bone, but um, I've always spoke like, oh, bullshit, Pete, you're just making that up. You're just yeah. putting shit. <laughs> and he laughs, you know, and he, mm. he goes, yeah, but he's, no, nah, they're, they're legit. And Pete's legit. He's a legit bloody filmmaker. He's killing it, so... Yeah, no, I, we listened to it then. I was pretty impressed with it, but I didn't get to see the film clip. So yeah, well, that's, uh, that's check getting that out released. Later. That'll be released on February eighteenth. The film clip. The film clip will be released eighteenth of February because yeah, we're playing at Hornography as of the launch of that movie. Yep. Um, on the twenty sixth of February. Nice. At Hornography, so it'll be released a, a week before the gig. Yep. And yeah, I'll be sharing the hell out of it because because uh, we won these awards like a few months ago and I'm like hanging out to share them and I can't share them with anyone because yeah. management said, you know, we need to promote it and all this, and yep. which is fair enough. I will give that to, to your management. They, mm. they they are big on that. They're big on give it time, let it stew, let let, let it build up yeah. as opposed to just sort of saying, oh, you know, two weeks time we're playing down at blah, blah, blah. And Yeah, I, to- I totally get it. It's just I'm holding myself back. I have snuck it to a couple of close friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't help it. Uh, Pete's good for uh, giving you a, um, a URL link where, you can, where yeah. you, you can share it if you need to. But yeah. no, that's good. So um, where was it filmed? It was filmed in um, Bassendine. Yep. Yeah, not far from Peter's house, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it was filmed at it was filmed at a house of someone who acted in one of Peter's actual full-length films called Anticipation. Yep. Which also won an international award. And it's an actually... It's a pretty good film. Mm. You know, I watched the whole thing. It's got, you know, um, Glenn and Kelvin in it. Yep. And Adrian and... Well, the, the, the copper, the, the bold copper guy, it was his house. Yeah. Oh, so it was... Um, oh, shit. The pom- not the Pommy fella. I think he's... Yeah, he's like... um. Sort yeah. of stocky and bold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul Cousins. Yeah, yeah. I think it's his house, yeah. Paul Cousins. And it's got, like, colourful sort of Paul's a keyboard player and plays with um, uh, Dillip and the Davs, I think. Mm. And he's got a, a, a bit of a funk outfit going. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Paulie Cousins. Yeah. That was actually... That was a fun film. I got a little little part in that myself. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. I was supposed to have a big part. And um, Pete goes, I need someone to play an asshole." He goes, you're perfect. <laughs> Yeah, fucking typecast. So <laughs> I'll uh, have to watch it again and look for you because I watched this ages ago. Before I met you, I watched it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I went to the launch and all that kind of stuff. And I did. Um, he's got another fellow by the name of Jordan Prince Wright that makes a lot of good films as well, yeah. and just shot a film called The Decadent Depraved. And recently, he's shot one called Before Dawn. Mm. And Jordan calls me up to do his launches, so I, I compare mm. his opening of his films, so oh. his premieres. Sweet. And then I do a and a with the audience and I oh. talk to the actors and I get, talk about, interview them very similar to what I'm doing here where we talk about, okay, so on the set, you know, like, but I ask questions like, 
you know, did anyone anything ridiculous happen? Did anyone wear anyone like anyone else's underwear on the on the <laughs> set? You know, and just questions. And he loves it because they're just left field questions. You know, so yeah. not that like, hi, who are your influences, and what actors <laughs> do you like to sort of portray? And what what actors do you find very similar to yourself in the way that that you like to hone your craft? <laughs> yeah, like fuck that. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, yeah, let's have a bit of fun. Let's make it fun for the audience. And and I pick on scenes and I start giving the the movie heaps and you know what I mean? Like and and uh, bring up funny things and it jogs the memory of actors and then they bring up things like, oh yeah, I remember when that happened and that and all the dirt fell in on us and it was like one arm sticking out and you know like yeah. So you, you get that kind of. It's still entertainment towards the end of the night, you know. So yeah, mm, but awesome. he's a good little filmmaker as well. So yeah, very good. So was that your first ever foray into film clipping? Yeah. Um, before that, it was just me copying, pasting shit off YouTube to soundtracks. Did that for years, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, I, 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 I sort of, I done one to our song Viking. Oh, yeah. And it's us playing, and I cut, and I found this awesome documentary on Vikings, and it's, mm. so I slowed down the footage, and then I, I zoomed in on the footage and mm. took sort of still shots, slow motioned them down of of Viking footage that they had, and then I looked at the I looked at the film clip recently, and I've still got the watermark, which is a cardinal sin. Still got the watermark of one of the scenes, and what I'll do is I'll flip it backwards, and mm. so it. It doesn't pick up that people look at it. And goes, is that ours? It's oh, a bit different. <laughs> but um, you know, I used to do that for ages. But now, nah, nowadays, we sort of shoot our own stuff. Yeah. So, so yeah. this is the first one. Yeah. The first one's done properly and stuff. Oh, plus his camera too. Did he use the Mini Ursa? I dare say he would have the all, new. All I know it was about ten grand's worth of camera. And is he it had the two one? of them? Yeah. Yeah. He's got two Mini Ursas, I believe. So, mm. yeah, it's all cinematic, four K. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful and, he, and he had a guy with him that was like on his last year at university or something. Yep. With another camera helping him, so yep. it was it was a full on thing. It was like he's also got in his stable. Um, he's starting to build a bit of a stable as well, but he's also got a guy who's very good at three D visual effects. Yeah. Right. Uh, not three D. Sorry. Um, CG. CG. That's the one I was after. Right. <laughs> Doing like yeah, animated graphics and things like that. Oh, so, right, really. Yeah, cool. So man, they use I... things like Adobe After Effects and all that kind of well, stuff. Well, I've got a whole album worth of videos I want to do, so I'm, I'm definitely going to go back to Peter. Yeah, yeah. I t I, well, I won't tell him he's too cheap until after you've done your yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, his prices versus what he puts out is pretty pretty oh, amazing. Oh man, man. I'll to be honest, I, I did talk to Peter at the beginning, and I said, look, I want to kick ass fucking box office. All in video, and he and I was expecting like twenty grand or something, you know. Yeah. But he came back with something nowhere near that cheaper. Yeah. And I was just like, "Fuck, man, is it going to be good?" You know what I mean? He goes, "Yeah, yeah, it'll be alright. Yeah. All right, then, go for it." And it came out just as good as I'd, I'd expect a twenty grand fucking yeah. film yeah. clip, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, just... after making a feature film. He's in the middle of another one called Caroline's Tale at the moment. And oh, I've written a script called uh, The Riff, oh, yeah. which I'm dying for him to shoot. Sweet. And it's uh, basically about a... Um, and we've talked about it in a podcast. It's about a dude who suddenly discovers this riff. Hmm. It was given to him by the devil at the crossroads. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So he sold his soul to the devil. <laughs> and what he discovers is he plays this riff and everyone just falls in love with the music and it makes girls sort of... 
horny. Have, have an orgasm. <laughs> well, oh, fuck. Basically makes them have an orgasm. And all the guys are looking at the girls going, what the fuck? Like, and that's what you see when the Beatles were playing and the girls are like, ah! Uh-huh. Yeah, because yeah, they're all sort of basically have simultaneous orgasms in the crowd. And um, <laughs> Well, it was like that, wasn't it? Yeah. Man? But to, so, so so to, yeah, so to, to sell yourself, the, which means when you turn 27, Janis mm. Joplin, yeah. Jimi Hendrix... Um, Amy Winehouse, Kirk, Jim Morrison. Kurt Cobain, Jim Morrison. So when you turn 27, you've got to cash in your soul. Oh, shit. And that's the what the movie's all based around. That sounds like a good script, man. It's a cracking script, but yeah. it's a comedy. And there's a guy who's in it, and then the, the drummer's got narcolepsy, so he keeps falling asleep. <laughs> so you hear this beautiful drum solo, and then it's him just crashing through his drums, <laughs> and all of a sudden the drums drop out, and then you've got the bass guitarist who actually doesn't know how to play music, mm. but he just plays everyone thinks he's like John Entwistle because he plays this really cool shit and the fact is he's actually when you say to him oh you, can you play a C he goes yeah yeah no worries he's looking around going what the fuck's a C you know like he's, he's it's it's pretty pretty funny sort of yeah um, pretty funny f- sort of film but uh, I won't go too much into it because obviously it's got <laughs> to be written and, and developed but I'll, I'll pull a bit of script up for you later and let you have a bit of a look through but cool. yeah man it's um, yeah he's a gun but yeah good to hear you doing a Doing a film clip because, mate, Kabashi's been going for years. We haven't even got a decent one out yet. You know, it's yeah. it's a it's a milestone. It really is. Yeah, no, I'm still like yeah, very focused on that because the message as well about yep. the domestic violence and stuff. Yeah. Basically, the first half of the clip is basically what my life was, but the second half of the clip is um, what my life could have been. Yeah. You know, because he grows up to be like a quite an angry young man. Yeah. And um you know, takes revenge on his dad and stuff, which is kind of the way I was going if I hadn't gone through other things in life that made me realise that everybody's got faults and everybody makes mistakes and we all have to just sort ourselves out, you know? Yeah, true. Like, true. and I, I'm not a vengeful person. Which so did good. you, did you, did you write a script for this film clip or yeah, did, I wrote the script did Pete work with you through it or was I, it something that you had you knew what you wanted and you basically wrote it down and said, this is it, this is what I want and that's what you shot? I, I, wrote, I wrote it all down in sort of segments and sent it to Peter by text. Yep. And then um, he just caught on to it straight away. He understood exactly what I was doing. Yeah. And um, said he can get the actors for it and everything and, and then I just eventually finished the whole script with him and um, he got just got everything ready, the actors and... and when we went to film it that day, um, the lady actor who was playing the mother, the father actor, the the kid actor, and sorry, the um, the kid actor, but as an adult, his girlfriend who was just there for the ride to watch, all had the same experience. So Peter went and found actors that actually lived through similar experiences of what this film was about. So after it was filmed, we actually all sat on the balcony and talked about our experiences as kids. Wow. And it was all similar. Yeah. So everybody put in their 100% into it, man. I saw tears that day. I couldn't believe, when we, if you wanted to skip back to anticipation, what he got out of... And let's take someone who you know very well, El, uh, Kelvin Whitwell. Yep, Kelvin Edward Whitwell. Um, he, the performance was so genuine out yeah. of him. I, well, it was him. And, and, it was him. It, it was him being him. It was him. him. And you know what? No, it was like the, no one was acting. Oh. <laughs> there was no, 
Actually, if I'm going to be critical, the only actor that looked like a nonce in it is myself. <laughs> you know, the, I just went, fuck me, Dad. What, what, what am I doing? But mm. on, the, on Ryan Warden that comes out and it's like, talks about like, and you wouldn't fucking believe it. Like he even wanted my CD or something like that. Oh, I can't remember what it was, but mm. I can't even remember my lines in it. But, um, but I, I'm not an actor. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not an actor, but do you see that guys like Kelvin and there was a few, and mate, bloody Glenn, Glenn, yeah, Jesus, like nice singer too. And, and Kate, you know, Kate was uh, Glenn's sister in the film. Oh right, yeah, Kate so, Ludley was it? I can't remember her surname, but Kate. I'm wondering because of the 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 lady actor in my film's name was Kate as well. Long red hair. Not long red hair, sort of more closer to blonde. Hmm. Not sure. I said to Pete, be careful of using the same actors over and over again. Oh. It'll end up an Adam Sandler film. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that guy, Um. Oh, the drummer, uh, Jamie Haskell or something? Jamie Haskamp, yeah. Haskamp, man, he's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw him the other night at Convenience. He was uh, playing for a cover band. Good drummer, too. Yeah, he was playing really drums. Really good drummer, yeah. Yeah, wicked. Yeah, he's... Um, oh, he's always in and out of different things he's doing some um, thing at Fringe at the moment actually like a big funkadelic sort of band that hmm. it's all about just wearing crazy shit and having fun it's yeah <laughs> and he's Lizzie's his partner she probably would have been around the scene too yeah I didn't see her that night yeah yeah but Lizzie's um, and Jamie good people I've known those since I've had the studios they used to come up and rehearse up there and got to know them pretty well so yeah no, that's really cool I didn't know that you um that you knew all that crew. But well, I, I met Jamie down in um, Mandra. I think it was Mandra, where um, Glenn was playing with with um, Peter Renzullo on stage. Yep. And Jamie was a drummer. Yep. So Peter Renzullo, you know, even though he's blind, he's playing awesome guitar and singing, and it's like a different type of. Middle Eastern banjoy guitar or whatever, yeah. and he was it's bloody just, awesome. Like an oud, he's got that. Oud. God, it's good. Oh, he actually plays mandolin. Pretty, yeah, he's playing all pretty, types of stuff. Pretty well as well. Yeah. Jamie was on the drums, and uh, yeah, it was just bloody awesome. And Jamie, like, while he's playing the drums, he has this huge smile on his face. Oh, yeah, he loves it. <laughs> and he loves like, it. And like, I just stood my, I made, I put myself in his line of fire with his, what he's staring at. Yep. So. I got to just look at him staring at me, smiling the whole time he's drumming. It was like, yeah, I was so stoked. And then he's Jamie's brother is a really good. Uh, I can't remember if he played bass or guitar. I think it may be bass, but it might have only been bass through necessity. But they had a good band together years ago too, and they don't play so much now. But uh, I wish I wish Jamie would play more with um, Glenn though, because Glenn's an awesome singer and guitarist. He's, and... His vocals for me are insane. Yeah. Um, and his guitar work, he's, he's actually a very good... But he's another one that suffers from anxiety a little bit about his performances. Mm. Like, that, that what he'd done in the film is actually Glenn... Glenn asks a lot of questions of himself, you know what I mean? Mm. And he's he's such a good performer. Like, I, I, I hear him just put the phone on and play guitar. Mm. And for me, some of that sometimes that's some of his best work. Yeah, right. You know, because he's just so... You can just listen to him sing with a guitar and it's awesome. Yeah. And he's got that real sort of... Um, oh, I guess it's almost like James Cornell sort of, you know, kind of mm. capabilities. Like, And his songwriting's supreme. Like, it's great. Man, first time I saw him on stage, I couldn't hold my tears, man. 
Mm. He really hit me hard, and yeah. his words and his his own songs. Yeah, and it was just fucking awesome. Yeah, like, yeah, spot on. Real musician, Glenn. I know you used to do a lot of acoustic stuff. Mm. And do you still do a fair bit of acoustic? You still playing quite yeah. a lot of acoustic? Well, I I write most of my songs on acoustic. Yeah. Um, and I like to do some covers every now and then with acoustic. Yep. But um, yeah, my acoustic is my best friend and. Yeah. Whenever a tune comes to mind, I just imagine that it's like distortion is on if it's heavy. <laughs> and just like, you know what I mean? Play An acoustic guitar can sound heavy. You can get a heavy sound out of acoustic. <laughs> yeah, Before enough. we close the podcast tonight, I'd like to... I'm going to start doing it because um, I did it last night with Clint mm. um, when Clint was in from Vogrite. And we just picked a guitar up and just moved the mics out a fraction. Yeah. Sounded great. Yeah. So I, what I'd like to do is actually... And just so that we come here, we share the podcast. So before you go tonight, I'd like to share one of your songs with you. So you play one of your songs, okay. and I'll just p- play with you. You know what I mean? And right. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to start doing that with a few of the artists. And what we got out of Clint was pretty cool. He told me about Pear Street, this song, and, and he just said, oh, I might as well play it. And I said, do it. And then he just started playing it, and I said, I'll grab a guitar. And, yeah, started, you know, whittling away with him. And yeah, it was a pretty cool thing. And I thought, I'm going to do that. I'm going to keep doing that. It's good. Cool. Yeah. Is there anything you want to get out before uh, before we get to that stage? Is tell me about one of the best concerts that you've been to. Now I know you used to get around to a lot of shows. Like I'd see you at shows that we'll play, and I'd see you at shows that other people are playing. And oh, there's Earth. You know what I mean? So for you, who's one of your favourite? Or give me a couple of acts in Perth right now that you're absolutely digging. Like you just love. All right. Um, yeah. I love all of them. <laughs> yeah, of course. But um, there's got to be a standout. There, mm. there is, yeah. There's a couple of standouts. Um, Primrose Path. Yep. Primrose Path are proggy metal, and the singer is just she's just fucking awesome, and she's a really good person as well. And everyone in the band's awesome. Nice. I nearly joined them. Yep. I, I was very close to joining them. If I wasn't so busy with all my shit, I would have really made some effort to be their guitarist. Yep. Um, yeah, we we even set up a time and everything for me to come and rehearse, and but I just I just couldn't do it, and she understood because I got so much shit going on. But um, they got a good guitarist now anyway, Jesse. Um, yeah, they stand out. Yeah, I, I absolutely love listening to them, and um, I can't not mention Woe Warden. Yeah, I've seen oh the name and I've seen him appear on Bills. Yeah. Never caught him live, but I've heard good things. John Pescott, the singer. Yep. Um, the whole band's wicked, the whole band's awesome. But for me, John Pescott, just watching him sing on stage with Woe Warden, yep. he's just the most exhilarating thing, man. Like, he just, he's like the, I don't know, I don't want to be offensive to him by saying he's kind of... I don't know, nerdy, I guess, off stage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I want to say, I want to say nerd. I mean, like, he's just a really polite, soft-spoken, cool dude. But on stage, he's just a demon. Like, he just goes into this wicked fucking alter ego thing, and when he sings, and he, it's just awesome. You've got to see it. Yeah. I'm well, going to see them tomorrow. I would. After my second jab, just I'm taking my second jab just to see that fucking gig tomorrow. <laughs> That's yeah. The- that's dedication right there. Mm, yeah. So, um... And also, Infinite Exile. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Infinite Exile, I've always believed. Yeah. I've always believed that they're going to make it, and I think if they keep going the way they're going, I believe they will. Yeah. 
Because yeah. there's a real under underworld. Well, it's always been there. The metal's so big. Yeah. You know, it's just not. You just don't hear it on the radio. Still to this day, you just don't hear it. You know, you get these smaller radio stations having the metal hour, or they might have you know Mike's metal mashup for four hours or something like that. But it's still not. You know, because the the big record companies are producing the bullshit that they're knocking out. It's yeah. which is which is a beauty in itself. I'm glad. I'd hate for it to be mainstream. Yeah. You know, like I love the fact that that metal is still for the metal metalheads. You know, like it's yeah. it's there. But. Well, when I first got back into the scene, um, I saw Cage the Hate and yep. As Light Decays. Yep. They were the first bands that I saw after years and years and years of not coming to bands. I saw them at the basement in Fremantle. Their um, music and the way that they performed hit me hard and actually gave me that boost to do everything I'm doing now. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, was a wicked. Night. Was Dutchy playing Cage the Hate? Yes, he was. He's he's written all the songs for Cage the Hate. He has. Yeah. yeah. What what was he doing? Guitar. See, so he's another one who can play drums like a maniac and yeah, and he bass can, and he can play everything. He can play everything. He plays bass for Jam Art now. Yeah. But um, he's. I, it's possible they might do a Cage the Hate reunion just for a couple of gigs or album was launch. But Kiefer McMillan wasn't the drummer in that band, was he? No, no. He's a, he was a drummer for All This Filth. That's right. Yeah. But not anymore, because of his he had some um, you know Inge- sore neck and stuff. Yeah, he injured himself. Yeah, he's trying to learn guitar because he apparently can't drum. Yeah, which anymore. is awesome. Yeah, he's got a, he's got an awesome guitar, man. Yeah, it's a um, um, Johnny Van Halen. I mean Eddie, sorry Eddie Van Halen guitar. Yeah, and yeah, it's bloody. It got, he let me play it not long ago, and it's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful guitar. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I've known Kiefer for a long time as well. Oh, he's, he's a good bloke. He's a good friend. Good yeah. friend of mine. Like friend, friend, you know, like you meet people in the scene and your friends as musicians, but he's kind of a friend, friend, you know, like yeah. you go around his house and have a beer and, yep. you know. Yeah, I've always, I've seen him, like I've, he's someone, I, I don't go out of my way to sort of hang out with Kiefer, it's just life is in the way, but yeah. he's someone where, uh, the last, well, here you go, the last time I saw Kiefer we was walking by a shopping centre, he might have been down at Kareen or somewhere like that and walked past him and went, oh, that's Kiefer. <laughs> But I couldn't get to him at the time. I had kids and stuff like yeah. that. And anyway, I walk him back and then I've gone, I've seen him again and he's gone, come up to me, he goes, how are you doing, buddy? And I'm like, yeah, good, <laughs> mate. And I said, so I, I just sat down. I said, come fucking join us. I'm buying you a coffee. You yeah. want something to eat? I'm buying you a coffee. What What would you like? <laughs> Bought his wife a coffee, you know, and then sat down and had a good old chat about like, just life. And that's when he told me he had back injury. And yeah, yeah which is sad because um, Kiefer's a mean drummer. Yeah. Yeah. He's old school. He's like a street drummer. Yeah. You know what I mean? He holds his sticks backwards and he fucking thumps that kit. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, he's yeah. Good old classic old school drummer. Yeah, that drum works. Drum yeah. kit that he's had forever that <laughs> gives an absolute flogging to. But mm. um, yeah, Kiefer was actually going to... We were going to play in a band together, but I, Kiefer, he just was too heavy mm. for what I needed. You know what I mean? And and he kept saying, oh, no, it's all good, I'll lighten up of that, but I just didn't need that double kick going yeah. on. Like, <laughs> and of, his drum like, kit's like a massive, take up this whole room, I reckon. Yeah, it's huge. But um, <laughs> but you know what? He was really good about it, and that's what I loved about Kiefer. Like, he just, he understood. He goes, yeah, man, he said, that's cool. And I was like, oh, you know. And I was kind of heading away, and that, that's when I met Adam, actually, just shortly after that. Kiefer was the first one to ever buy a Gem Art shirt. The first person. The first person ever. There yeah. you go. So that's something for the folks. Are you still doing those shirts? 
Yeah, yeah, I still got a um, bit of merch. I'll be putting them on in um, 26th of February. You should just keep doing the runs at that particular shirt because it's, yeah. like, it's almost iconic. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, the amount of people... I, I've been walking in shops. I was down at... Um, I'll tell you where I've seen them. I was, I was at Karen Up Shopping Centre. Right. Funny about shopping centres. Like, look, I don't just fucking shop all the time, all right? I've got a <laughs> wife that drags me out to these things. But no, I was actually... And I walked past and there's someone in a Jam Art shirt walking by and it's like, <laughs> hey, fuck yeah, you know, like... I did go for a stage there, Ryan, in the beginning where I was just giving them away because I didn't feel worthy to sell them. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 of them out there from the early days. But then I made some better ones and I started sell, actually selling them because I yeah. put more effort into them. Yeah. And all the artwork's from um, Wormrot, the singer of Wormrot. Yeah, right. Yeah, he did all the artwork for me. Yeah, so actually explain that a bit because it looks like a, a sort of decayed face with the hair. Is that what I'm looking at? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, there's a male one and there's a female one. Or, oh, really? Yeah. Or I mean, I must have the, the male one. With no hair, sort of bald? No, I must have the female one then. Yeah, it's got sort of hair coming off it. Yeah. With the third eye in the middle. Oh, has it? Yeah. It's like, um, it's sort of uh, abstract, like... I'm going to have to look at it again. It's a hole and stuff. And yeah, yeah. I'm going to look at it. Well, knowing that it's an eye now, I'm going to have to look at it again. But, yeah. mate, I, I wore that shirt plenty of times at gigs <laughs> and wear it proud. Yeah. And it was... I, I didn't even know you then, and i just seen these shirts put out, and I, I, I'd sort of seen what you were doing, like, with the, everything, and I just wanted to support you by buying a shirt you know which is fucking rare for me because I seriously you hold me underwater not one fucking bubble I'm so tight it's uh my 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 uh my finances are controlled pretty heavily by the ninja but um I just went out and just fucking busted out sort of like oh that's give, right give us yeah. your account dude I, I remember it. now you bought three shirts no I didn't buy three yeah no I bought one I had to stitch them all together so they no. fit <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember you, you wanted one for each band member yeah I got one for Adam and um and uh, uh, the other guy in me band. Yeah, I, I remember those ones. I actually <laughs> the other bloke in me band, fucking Pete. They yeah. were the they were the ones that I um, yeah I made them back when I had an office in um, Osborne Park. Nice. Yeah, and I got um, different. I went out and bought those shirts myself because I wanted to. I wanted them to be special. Yeah. So I went and got those shirts of a quality and size that he's wanted. Yeah. And um, I remember doing them and stuff and. I think one of them fucked up and I had to go and quickly wash it and get all the paint off it and then dry it and then do it again. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I really wanted to make do sure you, they were good I'll for I'll tell you a classic. This is Kibashi all over. No wonder we can't get gigs. <laughs> we, we, we run... And I wish I said that I meant to do it because it would have been fucking funnier. <laughs> but I didn't. I, I printed off some Kibashi shirts. So that was, it said Kibashi just in Japanese bold writing across the front. Yeah. And anyway, I've sold them off at our... CD launch I said this is just a one off run I'm only doing these for tonight you know come and grab one people aren't going to know what the fuck it means they wouldn't know it's Kabashi unless you're Japanese but uh, anyway so a few boys bought them and that yeah oh fuck we'll support you buy a shirt what I did do is iron them in Oh, so yeah, everyone geez. went home and all of a sudden all the paint washed out of their shirts. Oh, man, that's the biggest part, man. you got to iron those things, man. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> so I'm getting all these fucking messages saying, dude, that shirt, and people are sending me photos of holding up the shirt with nothing fucking shit. written on it. And I, I'm sending stuff, she's like, fuck off, idiot, turn it around the other way. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the shirts with no paint on them, like gone. Oh, man, you got to, yeah. Got to use it, get the aluminium foil out and put it on there and iron it down. Oh, tell me about it. I, um, but we went with the headbands. We thought that was a good idea just because... Yep, I've still got my headband you, you gave me. Well, mate, that, you, 
they're not just a fucking they're the hachamaki they're mm. that's for life you've that's mm. the only one you get and it's like a it's like a aussie cricket cat you know mm. that's your baggy green you know no you gave me the one you were wearing on stage in oh, bunbury that's, well, it's got aids that one so <laughs> fucking, um, oh you got the bunbury gig one yeah i got the bunbury gig one Shit, I, yeah. some of your sweat actually ran a bit of the paint but it's not it's still there beautiful <laughs> i probably didn't iron that in either so. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, we went with those simply because, like, everyone does shirts. But it's funny, you go to a gig now and you see everyone wearing their band shirts, but then you'll see people with the Kabashi yeah. headband on. They just stick out like dog's nuts. You know? yeah. but, but it was funny because I, I was at a gig on the weekend and uh, went and saw Electric State play with Amberdown um, and another band. Uh, was Ele- that the Rosemount? Yeah, oh, yeah Legs yeah. Electric. Yeah. And there's a new band called Satisfaction Guarantee. I don't oh. know if they're new, but I'd never heard of them before. Mm was really really surprised they were a great old school they just did different things with the music they did, did things that they were doing back in the 70s like those long intros and then just vocals yeah. and just letting the vocals do their thing and then kicking back in with the guitar and then stop was it kind of pink floydy or more more zeppelin oh right awesome yeah more zeppelin mm. sort of thing but um i was like yeah no one's done this for a while and, and you're doing it in your own way and it was really really mm. cool to, to check out I'm but talking about um, great artists in Perth um, not because I'm sitting here with you but in all honesty Kabashi your singing is fucking awesome man honestly it just it gives me a it just fulfills me to hear someone actually hit those notes so perfectly <laughs> I'm going to let you this, I'm gonna, <laughs> thank you thank and you I'm not kidding no, it's, it's Honestly, honest to God, man, it's like really, really, really good. I it's, love hearing Kabashi. It is, it is powerful. But yeah. I, I, my grandmother and mother are both singers, oh. so I come from a lineage of, right. and they can, they can, they're powerful. Oh, good you know, genes. So yeah, so I come down from knowing how to sing. Never officially had lessons, but it was just part of me growing. You never like, had lessons, eh? Where we talk about life, oh, you know what man. I mean? Like learning about life and. Well, growing up, my mother used to sing everything to me, and then my grandmother, mm. and my grandmother used to sing on radio. Yeah, so right. she used to get on the radio back in the days and sing stuff like, I like aeroplane jelly. Wow. Aeroplane jelly for me. Oh I like God. it for dinner. I like it for tea. A little each day is a good recipe. <laughs> the quality's high as the name will imply. It's made from two fruits. There's a good reason why. I like aeroplane jelly. Aeroplane jelly for me. So she used to sing that, and she used to sing, um, "I'm a happy little veggie." Like, because back in the day, they didn't have the record; they they didn't get recordings for advertisements. You'd do a reading. So on the radio, you'd do a reading, and then they would read the stuff, and then she'd be singing the song in the background while they're going. Aeroplane jelly is out there for you today. Make sure you get it into all your shelves. It's full of two fruits and makes you healthy. <laughs> Tally ho, have a good day. You know, so that they're doing that while she's singing. I like aeroplane wow. jelly in the background. And um, what was the other one? There was a, another song that her voice is on where they still use it today. Um, but anyway, it's a oh shit, what that's was amazing, it? man. Not aeroplane jelly. I know she done a lot of that one, but there was. Um, oh, Crap! I should know it. I can see the girl sitting on the swing, with the rosy cheeks. Oh, oh, it's killing me. 
But anyway, there's, there's, yeah, so there's old songs that she used to do back then. Mm. And she was singing me adverts all the time. So mm. I grew up just wanting to do jingles. <laughs> Adverting. So like, the ads would come on the telly and I was like... <laughs> Then then would get back to Skippy and I couldn't give a fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah waiting for the ads to come. <laughs> waiting back for on. the ads to come back on because <laughs> jingles and that was and I still think today with the stupid shit that I do, mm. it had a lot to do with you know. So wow. let's get back to what I was talking about. When you're four, five, six, seven, eight, that's life. Mm. That's when you're being programmed yeah. for the rest of your days, you know. Mm. And you would have that with your music because I've heard you play too, and you're scaling in that. You can hear that influence you've had from the music you listened to back then which was coming from your father Mm. you know so yeah yeah it's quite um it's quite cool but i also must say i must say that my favorite female vocalist in perth is julia miller julia miller used to sing for i think it's icarus lives once oh yeah yeah ages ago yeah um but she sings, well, sometimes I visit her and we have a beer and stuff, some wine, and she'll pull out the acoustic and I'll play some jam art songs and she's learnt the words to my songs and she'll just sing away, man, and it's fucking awesome. Oh, I'd give you a buzz. Yeah. But someone singing something do, you wrote, that's, yeah, that's the pinnacle. I want to do right an there. acoustic version of my album with her singing it. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and she just blows you away, man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you get them, don't you? You just get... I've adopted her as my daughter, by the way. Good move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good move. She's mine, my daughter. Now, before we jump on the guitars, mate, and let you get home, I mean, it is about three in the morning, but um, <laughs> are you, what's what's coming up? What's coming up for Jam Art? I know you've got sort of stuff on the horizon, so you've got your album launch coming up later yeah. on in the year. Well, well I shouldn't say album, sorry, I meant your... your the video launch. The video launch, That's yeah. on tw- 26th of February this month. Yep. And... The video is released a week before that on the 18th of February by Crunch Entertainment. Yep. So, um, other than that, we've got um, just working on the next album. We've got half the album done. Beautiful. So we want to get this second album done by the end of the year or early next year, latest. Yep. And um, yeah, just getting the drummer in, getting re- recordings down. And um, Primrose Path have got an um, EP launch coming up soon. They've asked us to support them which is a great honour because I love everything about that band yeah wicked. Um, I also have to mention um, As Light Decays As Light Decays is like they are old school metal uh, I, yeah. I, I've been I went down a rabbit hole one night watching all their stuff that they've released online yeah. and listening and I, I've, I actually I'm a bit of a fanboy I've been mm. listening to some of their stuff just driving around I still don't know what they're singing or what it's all about. Like, I've got to sort of sit there and try and get my head around it. I love to read the lyrics because I struggle to quite make out everything they're saying. But it, it's it's old school thrash flavour, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah. It, it hits that, it hits that, like, you're waiting for, like, Metallica, Megadeth, <laughs> eh, Pantera, you know, like that kind of old era. Like, you're waiting for them to bring out something new. Well, they're, they're bringing it out. Yeah, it's like a lost treasure, and they and they feel like they haven't had to do anything different because it's their own shit. So it's yeah. yeah, it's very very familiar, but it's new at the same time. Yeah, yeah. awesome guys too, and awesome riffs. Their partners and they're all just a happy family, all of them together. Yeah. Awesome people. Plenty Love of hair in that them. band as well. So it's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jamie Gatskill, the um, lead vocalist, he's like awesome mosher. Yep. Guarantee a good mosh when he's coming to watch your band. 
Who's their guitarist? Um, um, with Brett. The, with the Brett's one with the fairer hair, Brett isn't it? Brett Dunsire. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's Brett Dunsire and his partner Nola. They are like awesome, awesome people. Yep. Um, one, one day he came to my studio to have a jam and something happened. Um, that One of my amps blew or something. So I had to go and get that fixed. And while I was getting it fixed, I found a guitar that I really liked. So I bought that guitar and I named that guitar the Dunsire, which is Brett's surname. I've still got that guitar now. It's a cracking surname. Yeah. <laughs> what have you done, sire? <laughs> yeah. But, um, but the Dunsire just sounds sounds Danish almost, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah wicked. Yeah, I got the, it was a um, BC Rich um, stealth or woodcutter like the guitar I've got already. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Well, mate, do you want to you want to play us one of your songs? All right. So I guess you're just going to improvise some stuff over it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Should I sing as well? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Some days they just really suck. Try to say I give a fuck Care more than I can handle Care more than I can handle yeah, Some days they just really suck Try to say I give a fuck Care more than I can handle Care more than I can handle Joe. 
judged only upon petty mistakes